Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from down under outside Brisbane and Australia. It's episode 80 of the Time Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, we do an album archaeology on Prince's iconic album, Purple Rain. And most importantly, we are joined by Matt Ty of How About That Cigar. And as always, Primetime Jukebox is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobaccos that have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Stage Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double H 12 Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, the Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo A23, Perdomo Mento 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the new Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And we want to mention Aganorsa Leaf. Each month on Cigar Coop, you could check out uh, a gateway into the Aganorsa experience. And this month, the Aganorsa experience will feature the topic of validation. And Vice President of Aganorsa Leaf, Terrence Riley, will take you through validation and how Aganorsa Leaf goes through that as part of their uh, ongoing process. So you can go to the Cigar Coop page, click on the sidebar for the Aganorsa experience. That will take you to the Aganorsa uh, YouTube channel where you can find that video and lots of other information on Aganorsa Leaf. And we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo Leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cuba was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the individual seeds, and in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Julian and Son Hoops will bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Corojo leaf. The Aladino brand is available in a variety of brands, including the all-new Aladino Classic. Um, these cigars represent that golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961, and they're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And finally, by Drew Estate, Check out and download the Drew Diplomat app via mobile device. Keep up with everything going on Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California Studios for our Thursday Primetime show. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Jukebox, Episode 80. We are doing an early October 2022 edition of the show. This is Will Cooper. I am on the uh, black stage here in the Perdomo Cigar Studios. And I'm joined on the other side of the world, 
Down Under by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Dave Burke. Hello, Coop. Hello, Matt. How you doing? Yep, yep, we'll introduce Matt now. Matt Tyve, how about that cigar? Welcome aboard. Welcome back to the Jukebox today. Oh, guys, thank you so much. Always uh, always a pleasure being on the show with you. And uh, especially today, I mean, we get to talk about one of uh, one of my favorites of all time. And, you know, I just I have to ask, are you ready to purify yourselves in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> and the water is warm enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, what we're talking about is uh, is our album archaeology uh, series. This is actually the 10th installment of it. Right. And what we're going to do today on today's show is we are going to be breaking down uh, the Purple Rain album, uh, telling the stories behind it, telling just some of our thoughts and perspectives on the album. Uh, I, I like to say if you've heard this album uh you are going to hopefully have a different or learn some things about it um, to appreciate it. And if you haven't heard it, maybe you'll give it a try. So, you know, Matt, the uh, who is uh, one of the uh, principals behind How About That Cigar, uh, based up in Minnesota, couldn't think of a, a, a better person. We were trying to get Garrett as well. It was, we couldn't get him tonight, but we understood. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I, Matt, let me just kind of compliment you guys. The how about that cigar show? I know you guys are getting on 200 episodes, but what a I mean, that show is just getting better and better every week. It and really, you guys should be really proud of the product you're putting out right now because it's, it's some really good stuff. Well, I that means a lot coming from you, and uh, we appreciate it. We we work hard every week to uh, you know, make the and really the focus, the focus for the last. Uh, nine months, maybe to a year has really been the show. Um, you know, the, w the website is still there and still functioning, but we've been putting all our time and effort and attention into the show to making it the best it can be and um, having a blast doing it. Just uh, just crossed over the bridge of episode 175 and uh, no signs of slowing down. No, no. Uh, so, I mean, it's just like I said, uh, we were just talking in the green room before the, before the break and um you know, I, 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 he did an interview with Miguel Sodell on Monday, and um, it's a really good interview. Um, putting the drama aside that's going on with Crown Heads right now, there's things that you'll, like I was just saying, I learned about Crown Heads um, in that interview. It's just a really good interview. Uh, if you're a Crown Heads fan, I think you're going to want to hear it. And, and Miguel's one of the great guys in the business. So, oh, yeah. Uh, he, he's, he is our, uh, he's also our, you know, he's part of our, um, the baseball crew shows we do from time to time. Mm. And, uh, and, and the funny thing about Miguel and Dave, I don't know if you know Miguel, but he's a huge Cincinnati Reds fan. Yes. And like, you know how we all like raz someone about their team, like, and you, you talk a little trash and stuff. Like with Miguel, you, for some reason, people don't want to do that with him, right? He's <laughs> such a nice guy, right? And he suffers with the Reds so much. So you like everyone just kind of roots for the Reds on behalf of Miguel. It's like, Hey, why not? Yeah. Yes. And he just takes it so well. <laughs> I mean, he, his quest was not to lose a hundred games. Unfortunately, he lost the, they lost the yeah. game at the end of the season. So, oh, yeah. uh, but, uh, now, but no. now Coop though, you gotta, according to the show, you gotta iron out some things with Miguel before, you know, the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Well, the, uh, I, I You're the sacrificial lamb, my so, friend. So funny thing is, I didn't hear that live, right? Because, and I, I was honest, I said, 
the Phillies were in a very historical game going on. There was a there was a perfect game into the sevens, right? And it was the and they had a chance to clinch, right? So I I admit I kind of booted away from the show. I went back and watched it the next day, and then I see this comment, and I'm like, what? Like I'm tagged on this comment, like what is? And yeah, apparently, uh, it was folks to be you know fight the zombie apocalypse for you. I think it was right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Miguel picks a bonus person, and it's like me, and he says, "Well, Coop's like the sacrificial lamb." I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just start laughing. <laughs> I would have never saw that coming. Yeah, you two got to iron some stuff out before the zombie apocalypse. You got to move up the order there, Coop. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like Miguel, what the hell? <laughs> no, that's a funny uh, thing we do. Uh, I that's one of my favorite things to ask is we do at the end of the show we do some just funny questions and mm. you know we we ask if you if the zombie apocalypse came who are the three cigar industry people you'd want on your team to defend yeah. against the zombie horde and uh, the answers are always fantastic. I love that question. Yeah, no, it, it, I think I, I think I think I got that question from you guys. I'm trying to remember who I said though. Yeah, I I, I got to go back and look. And I have to go back and look too. Yeah, I, I should remember that, and I don't. But I think, you know, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, gotcha. I was gonna say skip skip with this gun collection was a good answer. I mean, you, anybody you, you, anybody with you're guns strapped up. Was a good choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're ready to go, and he does target practice too, so he's ready. Yeah. He's ready to go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, the, the other thing that I, I, I love it, right? And I, I razz on that on it a bit, but it, it is a great. I love the Minnesota sports report we get at the top of every How About That Cigar episode. Mm. And, and and you can't help but feel bad for these guys because the team's just, they showed them hope, they, like, tease them, and then they let them down. Oh, yeah. But- yeah, That's it's the twins it's, with it's you the ongoing year, It's the ongoing thing with Minnesota sports teams and – I'm 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 a team I'm a fan of Minnesota sports for everything uh, aside from NFL football. Everybody knows I'm a diehard Green Bay Packers fan, right. um, yeah, and I was before I even lived in Minnesota. But yeah, the Twins is just it's a sad thing. There's so much talent on the team, but they just I mean, aside uh, the the only bright spot really this season was you know Arias getting the mm. the AL batting title. Right. You know, that's it. But but if that's your only bright spot, then I mean, what's I don't want to say what's the point, because I do love watching the team, but it's it's just year after year after year. It's either don't make it to the playoffs or it's, you know, make it make it into the playoffs and lose in the first round. This year, they just didn't make it. So at least we save the heartbreak of having to watch the twins lose in the in the first round of the playoffs. Right. Oh, and they were in first by like four games at one point in their division. At, at one point, I think the Twins were in first by eight and a half games. <laughs> they were out by what, like 10? 11 and a half, I want to say. Oh. Oh. It was Man. terrible. It was such a, it was, it was just really bad. But the, and you know, all credit to Cleveland. Cleveland really turned things around. They, yeah, did, they really did. They really did. They got good when it counted. And so Cleveland, you know, hats off to them. They, they really, turn things around yeah you got the you got the the wild starting soon yeah yeah they're, there's, they're there's looking okay things they're looking okay in preseason um but we'll i mean i'm not sure how things are going to be without kevin fiala that's that's the mm. piece that we when we lost fiala i'm a little worried if they're going to have the chemistry without him but i 
I, I think they'll figure something out. Mm, you got you got Gobert now. You yeah. got the French connection. Yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's going to be at the very least, it's going to be fun to watch because we got, you know, exciting players like um, I mean, having Flurry in the net is always good because he's just a, a rock star, mm. you know, a yes. future, future Hall of Famer. And then you've got, you know, the young kid, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, who is fun to watch pretty much any night of the week. Mm. Coop, your Giants, they're running high. Like, it's all, you, you know, it's all go for them. It, it's look, I'm really happy with three and one. Um, we are going to have an interesting situation quarterback uh, this weekend. By the time pe- people hear this, we'll know if the Giants are three and two. We're playing the Packers, by the way. That's right. Uh, yeah, in it's a three and one, three and one showdown. London game. So, yeah, so. I, I, we have only got Sunday schedule worked out. So, so I can make sure I'm watching the game. Um, look, we could easily be 0 4 the way that those games all went, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I have a little more confidence in the coaching staff, um, especially after game four, you know, the, and the way they're using the running game. Uh, at least I know that this, our coaching staff can keep us into a game and keep us competitive in a game. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it could be worse. We could be in the Denver Bronco dojo situation. Oh my God! They are I did so not see bad. that coming, man. They are that so is. bad. He, uh, oh, we, that offense is so bad. We, we were we had John Carney on the Thursday night show, and John's a big sports guy. And I'm like, John, I gotta read you these. Like, I had the game on, like in the background, and I'm like, John, I gotta read you these stats, like, and like, you know, and I'm talking about forty nine point seven quarterback ratings for Russell Wilson. I'm like, this oh, is insanely bad for a team that was supposed to contend for the Super Bowl. Many people did this year, man, that defense, if you're on that defense, you're not all that happy. <laughs> well, I was holding telling, up your end of the bargain. Well, I told Eric, I, I liked the previous coach, right? I said, I think he never got oh. the tools on offense, right? But that defense, he really rebuilt that defense. I said, I would stick with him. I, I don't think you need to fire him yet. Bring, you know, bring in the quarterback. And uh, they fired him, and they they plucked oh. the guy from Green Bay. Which, to be honest with you, he's probably a guy who should have been. You know, he he's been a coordinator for a long time. Time to be a head coach. But I said, Eric, I I didn't like the move of getting rid of the previous coach. Yeah. And um, you know, oh. and, and sometimes with a first time coach, it doesn't work out. So. No. Yeah. Well, they they tried that. They thought they could lure uh, Rogers over. And then they didn't. And then it's like, uh oh. <laughs> well, who? But everyone thought it was a brilliant look. Look, you can't. Everyone thought it was a brilliant move bringing Russell Wilson over there. Oh, well, yeah. Like, oh, oh, Seattle looks is. like they made out great in this trade. So he is yeah. washed, man. Oh, my Ooh, goodness, man. What a disaster. Yeah. He looks like he doesn't even know what he's doing out there. <laughs> I told Dojo, I said, it, it, you're, you're, he's like, I know. He's like, this is bad. <laughs> oh, it is not good. So he puts up this Facebook post apologizing for um, the game. And they're like, and then you see people in Denver all day doing that. Like, so oh, media <laughs> companies. It's like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, that could be, uh, it would be interesting to see. But I think uh, I'm not, look, I think Matt's team is going to beat us tomorrow. Well, you know, and that I was just sad. I don't think we're, but you know, I've been to London for NFL weekend. I haven't gone to an NFL game, but when I was in London, I'm telling you, football's huge there. They love NFL. Yeah. It was Eagles and Jacksonville playing when I was there, and, and people, 
Like I was in Piccadilly Circus the day before the game, and it was like there was an energy. You almost felt like it was an NFL city. People were all over the place with jerseys and hats on and everything. Yeah, yeah, they they really do like it a lot there. Yep, they really do. So I'm, it's the first time we're going there with a winning record, I think. So yeah, that, that helps. <laughs> so I got a question, Matt. What's it like in the studio when it's uh, Vikings Packers week? Is there is there a tension in the air? Yeah. No, no. I mean, not really. It's it's a Garrett and I have a very friendly rivalry, you know, and we're both he he and I are both kind of of the same vein that that you know if I mean we're super big fans of our teams, but we're also really pragmatic, you know that mm. we want to see. Um, we're not we're not just gonna celebrate somebody else's loss for the sake of celebrating somebody else's loss you know it's mm. you know we're, uh, like when the when the vikings absolutely embarrassed the packers on week one they're <laughs> yes. sitting side by side at a shop down in in you know uh southern minnesota watching the game and um i'm just i'm just sitting there quiet because i i knew the packers were playing terribly and i knew they were going to get beat um and but if it like if if uh, you know the Packers have a big game against somebody other than the Vikings, honestly, mm. Garrett's typically cheering for the Packers. Oh, you know, right, and and vice versa, me for the Vikings. Um, yep, because I respect I respect the game a lot, and I respect the great players, and I love watching the great players. And you know, so Garrett likes watching Aaron Rodgers play and Aaron Jones, and you know, seeing you know really good uh players play the game and i love watching you know guys like justin jefferson and um you know players like that on on the minnesota roster uh you know dalvin cook because mm. it's uh i respect the game and the same is true with pretty much any team you know if as long as they're not playing against my packers i'll i'll, <laughs> I'll root for them and just i just want to see good gameplay unlike the game uh, the Thursday night game, you know, which, oh. which was, it was just, it was so ugly to watch. It's just one of those games where you don't want, you want to shut it off because you feel bad for every player on the, on, <laughs> on both sides of the ball. And you, you uh, nobody wants to see that. No. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was just bad football. Oh, I think at one point in that Thursday night game, each both quarterbacks had no touchdowns, two picks, and a QBR below like sixty. Yeah, it was, both of them. That's like, oh so, man, so horrible. Well, in the rumor mill, I and we, I know you guys are rumor free, but you know the, <laughs> the the word the word in Indianapolis is that Matt Ryan is not well liked in the locker room there. Oh, that's not a good combo there. Um, and it has well, been since training camp. And I'll just say this, and I want. Diverse too much, but I did have a couple connections with the Falcons. That was oh. the case. I heard the case with the Atlanta was the same deal. Yeah, hey, they, they were trying to get. They were trying to get. Yeah, that's that's. And I can't. But that's what I heard. I heard it secondhand. But yeah, yeah. If you're not gonna be well liked, you better be good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. not well liked and bad is a bad combination. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, no. Uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah. We uh and then and then you know kind of just to top misery upon misery here right for <laughs> Seth 
says, guys. Our oh, friend- yeah. I was just going to put. Uh, could, could, should we uh, reach out to him somehow? <laughs> He's OK. OK. <laughs> He's OK. But, you know, in case you haven't heard, um, the Texas Longhorns absolutely delivered a good old fashioned ass whooping to the uh, Oklahoma <laughs> soon as oh, nothing today man. in the Red River showdown. Yeah. It, and it he's dealing brutal. and he's dealing with his Baker Mayfield possibly getting benched in Carolina. If, if things, oh, yeah. But he's <laughs> having a very rough week right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that is uh, rough. That that Texas Sooners game was was brutal. <laughs> He, uh, I, I, I said, I don't, he goes, I don't think it's ever, he goes, I, he goes, I don't think I can ever remember a loss. And I said, that's, for, no, I don't remember Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 Um, and I said, I said, you know, that, you know, and, and it kind of showed the job that Lincoln Riley did there, I think, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause a lot of people thought he had a good recruiting, you know, that was a good recruiting class that the new coach was left with. So. Well, I, I certainly expected Texas to win, but not like that. No, not yeah. either. Not either. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. Exactly. 49 nothing is, uh, I mean, that's inc- <laughs> even when, when one of the teams was like when Texas was bad, it was, you know, Oklahoma never even wiped out the other team like that. So, yeah. Um, so, yep, that's, uh, that's our, I guess that's our sports report for this week. Uh, unless, we, unless we missed anything else. Uh, but I think we hit our usual things, Dave, on that. No, yeah, I love the NFL talk because there's no NFL talk here for obvious reasons. So I love yeah. a bit of NFL talk. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't think we'll ever get games in my lifetime in Australia because I think the time change is just too difficult to put it into the regular season unless they, they specifically do it with a bye. No, I mean, football does well here. I would say the U.S. sport that does the best is basketball. Like people really like basketball yeah. here but australia is a basketball country mm. i mean they do have they do have like pretty decent basketball players have come out of there yeah so yeah so but uh oh but yeah i'll, I'll wear i'll wear my packer stuff around and people know who they are which is just boggles my mind yeah. I, love it. I love it yeah i mean it, like i said when i was in london to see people wearing jaguars gear and i'm not talking tourists these are people like in native London, people were wearing yeah. stuff. So. Uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, but uh, Dave, we have some sad news to report on a couple of things. Yes. So there was a couple of like we kind of every week, you know, not every week, but a lot of shows will we'll kind of just pay homage to the musicians, the artists who passed away. But two ma- two major artists passed away mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we had Coolio who died. Yeah, like a week ago, maybe. I a little over a week I, ago he died. The the from what I read at the time, he died like at his friend's house in the bathroom or something. That's what I don't I know from to, what. Yeah, yeah. I haven't was, caught uh, up on cardiac that. arrest. Right, right. Yeah, he was he was only what fifty nine. Yeah, 50s? yeah, man. Yeah, he was young. He was young. He was. I mean, he had. There was that window of fame he had in the mid '90s, mm. uh, where he became he was huge. He was huge. I mean, the biggest songs of his would probably be "Gangsters Paradise," which people probably know. Yep. And then uh, "Fantastic Voyage" is probably the other. Yep. But he had a big. I mean, he had a really big impact on on hip hop, especially at that time. Yeah. Kind of like the golden age of hip hop, really. That sort of like '90s. He kind of um. 
straddled that East Coast, West Coast thing, too. I mean, at that time. So, you know, what I'm saying is like, you know, that's when the, that was when this rivalry was going on between the East Coast mm-hmm. hip hop and the West Coast hip hop. And um, he kind of tried to maintain, um, you know, kind of I don't want to say he just tried to stay neutral in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So um, which but but this was like when we talk about a rivalry here, this was a um, this was like a, a bloody feud. We're talking about East mm-hmm. Coast and West mm-hmm. Coast here. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just remember he got up at the Grammys and he made that speech, you know, basically. Um, you know, trying to calling for unity and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you, by the way, you know that Coolio uh, was a vice presidential candidate for what? in 2020. Right. Yeah, oh, he, nice. He's a running mate of porn, uh, for pornographic actress Sherry Deville's uh, Why? De- when she tried to run for the Democratic nomination. Jeez, <laughs> lost to Joe Biden. <laughs> we could Man, have Coolio be a- <laughs> There's a lot of words in that sentence I thought I would never hear together. Yeah, exactly. That's Pornographic right. actress presidential run. Man. <laughs> Coolio. Unreal. I had yeah, I had no idea. That's yeah. crazy. Yep, yep, yep. So uh go figure <laughs> that. Yeah. So uh so yeah, and uh Coolio fifty nine survived by six children. Hmm. Mm. Um and then I would say if you were doing female artists and we talk about Mount Rushmore, I would say this woman had to be considered for Mount Rushmore status in country music on Mount Rushmore. And it's Loretta, Loretta Lynn. Yeah, Loretta Lynn. Um, huge pioneer, like a contemporary of uh, Dolly. Um, had a lot, much like Dolly Parton, had a lot of feminist themes in her work as well. Um, but huge, huge impact on on um country music it really like it was like her dolly you could say reba mcintyre kitty wells before them yeah really sort of like paved the way for future female country artists yeah um yeah and i i i picked a bunch of songs for her is uh to talk about feminist themes she had a song called the pill in 1975 about of course the pill Right, which you don't get a lot of country music songs in 1975 about that. Pill. Um, she has the song "Fist City," where she talks about beating somebody up. So you gotta love that. Um, Coal Miner's daughter is probably the one most people know, because that was like her biggest record was the Coal Miner's daughter in the movie. Yeah, yeah, movie done. And it was very. I mean, it's kind of in that same vein as Dolly's. You you know, sort of my Tennessee Mountain Home sort of thing. It's kind of. Was that um, um was that Sissy Spacek in the movie? Yep. Yeah, that's right. I remember that's, seeing that. Yeah, she won an Oscar. She won, well an Oscar. Yeah. she won an Oscar for that portrayal too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the last one, Cooper, she did a record with uh Dolly Parton and Tammy Wynette of uh covers. And they covered uh Kitty Wells, uh It Wasn't God Who Made Honky Tonk Angels. Ah. So a bit of so yeah, she's extremely prolific. And she would have been in her nineties, wouldn't she? I think uh, she was I didn't 90. check. She was ninety. Yeah. I think she was ninety. Yeah. When she died. Um yeah, ninety. I think she even did a record uh would have been maybe eight years or so ago, maybe even more with uh, Jack White. Like I think he produced it. Oh wow. That's cool. Yeah. I gotta, like a, I gotta look like for a, that. Like a third man. Nice. I got to look for that. 
because he and he had a, like put out a, a message about you know his condolences and and things like that. So um, yeah, Loretta Lynn. Mm. Yep. Um, yeah, big loss, big loss. I mean, I didn't realize she was up to ninety already. It's hard, it's hard to believe that. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So just for you, Matt, just I looked it up real quick. It is uh, Van Leer Rose, which is a, a studio album by Loretta Lynn, which is produced by Jack White, which I think he recorded at Third Man Studios, possibly. Okay. That came out in 2004. And and I don't know if she came out with anything since then, but that was like a big sort of comeback record of hers, I remember, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely look for that. Yeah, two two really big, really big names this week. Yeah, this, this yeah, show, definitely, yeah. definitely. We have like I remember with a few years when we first started the show that one year. Every year, it was man, that, like that, every year man, it was that, someone that first COVID year. Man, it was like John people, Prine. It was like so many older, iconic artists yeah. from COVID. It was yeah. nuts. Wow, wow. Um, yeah. So that that is said. Um, and then, but we do have some happy news. Oh, um, so I'll preface this by saying you can send all the hate mail to me, Coop at cigar. Wow. Don't send this to Dave, but uh, I'm excited. That's a, pref- that's a preference right there. Like, well, you, that's because every time, we, every time we bring up this artist, I get shit, right? But well, we get <laughs> shit, right? And it, it's Bruce Springsteen, okay? And, hate mail uh, me, man. He's got a new album coming out, Only the Strong Survive. It's a covers album on Soul mm-hmm. Music, which I'm real excited about. Um, they've already previewed one of the uh, the songs already, um, and I'm excited about it. So if you want to get mad at anyone, get mad at me because I'm the one to put this story out there. But, but yeah, Springsteen and Neil Young, are, are, they're, there's a faction of our audience who doesn't want us to talk uh... about <laughs> Hey, man. Yeah, it's interesting. Um I'm interested. I'm interested to hear it. I hope. Uh, it, it, I haven't heard the whole record yet. I have to listen to the whole record. But what my one concern is that sometimes some of those songs are so iconic that they're really hard to cover. Yeah. So I'll have to. I'll have to have a have a listen. But I'm definitely interested to have a listen. Yeah, actually, the album comes out. There's only they've released one, which is uh, "Do I Love You." Uh, indeed, I do. Um, but the album comes out on the 11th. But, you know, Springsteen is a master at covering songs. That's one thing. And he really emphasized, like, he's been promoting this. And he said that this album is the first one he's done really in a long time. It's focusing on his vocals and less on the instrumentation. So that that's going to be interesting to see how that all, that all um, flushes out. And mm. I believe this is a Springsteen album, not an E Street Band album either. So mm. I was just going to ask that. Okay. Yeah. Although he's bringing in like he still works with the various musicians from uh, you know the sessions musicians and and the um and the E Street musician, but but yeah, it's not an E Street Band album. It's a covers album. Okay. Um, and uh, this is going to be followed up by his tour, which begins next year. So mm. um, oh, okay. Yep. So. Yeah. But the uh, what do you call it? The uh, the do I love you? Uh, if that will give you an idea, Dave, where it's mm. going, I think, and I think you're mm. gonna be pleased with it. Yeah, like I said, 
the, the only concern is sometimes when artists do this, and I don't know what you think, Matt, but they pick their favorite songs, and it's like some of those songs, like you like songs from Al Green or whoever, are like the originals are so good that you're like, ooh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's better to just go deep tracks that people don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying on that. Yeah, there, I, I love, I love covers though. I love, um, mm. there's something about hearing somebody else's interpretation of a of a great song. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to listen to that because I'll be interested too if he takes it sort of in that more kind of for lack of a better term, country rock vibe that he mm-hmm. does or singer song or vibe, or if he brings in like a soul session musicians and keeps it I'll be interested to see which way it goes with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, know, very interesting. November eleventh. Uh Okay. Yep. So stay tuned on that, um, which means it will not be eligible for any coop consideration for end of year awards till next year. So, oh, so it misses the deadline. So I won't get hate mail this year. So it'll be. Now good. Bruce listens to the show, so right. he might, he might, uh, he might really advance the time frame there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might yeah. talk to his to like you know Atlantic or whoever he's on and be like, listen. You didn't tell me I wasn't going to make the coop list. We got to get this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but Bruce is not like the cigar industry who will whine about it. They'll just you know, he'll, he'll try to do something about it. Right. <laughs> oh, you know, wow. list I mean, yeah, you're not on my list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so stay tuned on that. All right. So before we kind of get into the, the meat of things tonight, um, Actually, cigar news. Let's let's can I mention one cigar news thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really new news, but uh, we didn't talk about it here. But um, for the Metallica fans, and we yes. know that this this show has Metallica fans. I mean, we've seen it. Um, Metallica. Everybody thinking knows about the Drew State Metallica collaboration, the Blackened M eighty one. I'm excited about it. Mm. I, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be big for the industry. I think this is. Um, it's going to be an interesting collaboration, um, this, but I think Drew Estate is doing all the pushing all the right buttons to market this thing. So, mm. um, I mean, the big question is, well, how much will Metallica have skin in the game with this? By the way, Metallica has been promoting this yeah. on, on the music side of things. So, yes, there's been like press releases and there's been just some promotion I'm seeing done from their from their company. So um, both sides are pretty much promoting it. I've smoked now. I've smoked the pre-release cigar. It, I'm gonna be honest. It it was a little young, okay. But all those like those are all those like pre-release cigars under the Freestyle Live. I've had the same reaction. They they were all young, and when they came right. out, the cigars were actually pretty good. So right. I'm gonna take face that. I mean, look, when the Underground Ten came out and that Freestyle Live pack, I thought it was terrible, right? Mm. And it ended up being it ended up making my top twenty-five last year. So, mm. um. Exact same for us. Yeah. Uh, this one, I don't want to say it was terrible. It's just, it was young. So we'll see. Well, that was my opinion. We'll see what happens with it. And we're yeah. definitely going to, for all the listeners out there, we're definitely going to grab some and do a Metallica show. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been talking to Drew State. I um, let them know, guys, we do a music show, by the way. <laughs> um, like, hey. Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, we, we will definitely, I think once the cigars come out, we'll definitely do some some shows around that. I mean, to, like we talked about doing a Metallica show forever anyway. So. Um, 
Yes. There's no reason why we can't do it uh, again. You know, do do a full, we could do a full one. We could do album archaeologies. You know, there's a lot of ways we. Could. Oh. So mm. yeah. I uh, but but to your point, Coop, really quick. I for all I've seen on the cigar end, like Hetfield is like all over the promotion of this cigar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not like a mystery. Like he's they got quotes from him. Like he's in all the ad stuff. Like he's really pushing it. Yeah. Yeah. The um. You know, Matt, this is actually for both of you guys a question. The, the, this year has been a big year for the celebrity collaboration. And and the, the two I'm talking about in particular that I think have been in the stratosphere, like we haven't seen this in the industry before. I would say the first one is Guy Fieri. And now the second yes. one is, is Metallica. We haven't really seen, like, we, we've seen some celebrities get involved, but not to the levels as I'm seeing. And like I said, Hetfield's been very involved with this. So, you know. Um, yes. I, I'm curious to see where this one goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of other celebrity cigars where the celebrity was really involved. Uh, David Ortiz, was he quite involved with the big poppy? Would he be out in events and stuff? He did some, but not like not that yeah, Fieri was doing it. Yeah, he did more yeah. than he did more than most. I yeah. mean, um, that I, I did respect when big poppy came out to you know, trade shows and some other events and stuff like that, where other guys like whether it was Gary Sheffield or, um, you know, they, they were pretty, um, you know, they, they just sort of put their name on it. And that was, that was really about it. I, I will say Gary's a great guy. Gary. Sheffield, oh, I'm sure. I, 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 I have no him. doubt. Yeah, yeah. I met him, but he, again, he did a, he did, he was at a, a great smoke or maybe, but not, not out there. Like, like these other guys have been. Yeah. Yeah, I'll oh, be interested was... to see if we if we continue because early on with the uh, the knuckle sandwich with Guy Fieri and Espinosa, you know, Guy was really involved. He was really yeah. present. He was all that, and I I wondered if that was going to last and if that was going to continue. And it turns out that it did, and it is continuing. And Guy is continuing to be involved and vocal and present and all that stuff. I'll be curious to see if James Hetfield is the same way with this. Drew yeah. State. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will tell yeah. you. Yeah. They have another Guy Fieri cigar for 2023 coming out already. So, Ooh, so yeah. the fourth that's such one. a good yeah. cigar. Yeah. That's so such a good cigar. Yeah. So, you know, um, there, I think that's keeping him engaged too, by, by mm. having, you know, continuing to kind of come out, you know, I think that's, and then I think, you know, they'll do some limited, I think I, what they did the trade show, I thought was brilliant doing the limited run. Uh, it just gave, another excuse to kind of keep engaged with the guy Fieri brand. So I thought it was a good move. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about it. We'll see where this goes. Mm. What's the guys we smoking people? Right. Why? Uh, we'll, we'll go to our guests first. Yeah, man. Uh, what do you got? So because we're talking about purple rain, I looked through my humidor for cigars that had purple in the color scheme. <laughs> And I really couldn't find any. And then I found this. I was very happy, actually, to find this box because I really do enjoy this cigar. So this was uh, this is the uh, Adventura uh, Secret Society, basically, in English, Secret Society. Uh, This was from the Great Smoke um, uh, for uh, Abe DeBabna and Smoke in the big event uh, that we were at down in uh, in West Palm and. It, I love the cigar. I think it's a really nice blend and uh, it is just purple through and through, you know, from the box to the bands to everything. So this, this was a, 
this was a definite choice for uh, talking about Purple Rain. Mm, nice. Yep. Good call. That's a good cigar, by the way. I, I really mm. enjoyed this. Yeah, one. that was uh, I, 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 uh, I thought it was very good. Uh, it was that was one of the great smoke limiteds, and then they just did another run of them. So yeah, yeah, it's a good cigar. I agree. All well, right. go ahead, Dave. I I looked at the show notes. I don't have anything purple. I looked at the show notes, <laughs> and uh, I told Coop, I'm like, you and Matt are driving this show because like you guys are far more knowledgeable. And I saw what they put down, so I said, well, this is a good time as any to have the seven by seventy. Uh, <laughs> Asylum was an ogre coop that uh, you sent nope. over. It's not the ogre. So the ogre is actually the barber pole. That okay. is the stadium series release that was basically planned for last year, but got released this year. All right. There's a story with that cigar. Tell it up. So the United Cigars came up with this concept of like collaborating with brands and basically packaging the cigars in boxes that kind of resembled stadiums. So that one was packaged in a box to kind of represent Fenway Park. They did another okay. one this year that had a resembled Yankee Stadium. But huh. that was planned, like I said, for last year. And it was going to be called the Green Monster. All right. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then... Yeah. Then Can't the trademark. That. Then the trademark. Oh, it, yeah. And Ooh. it got iced. It got iced, right? So they ended up releasing it this year. They ended up kind of like taping over the name Green Monster or whatever. Um, but that is an all Candela version of the Asylum 13. Well, the okay. ogre is a barber pole. So it's a mm. it's a beefy seven by seven Candela. I said, if anyone's gonna smoke a seven by seventy Candela, uh, it has it's to be me. Dave, who is the <laughs> Candela guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you know, the ogres, I, I'm gonna say the ogres are very good cigar in the 70. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was because it was blended for that. So I don't know how an all candela version of the Asylum 13 will be though. Oh, it's really good so far. I mean, like I said, I looked at the show notes and I was like, man, if I ever got time to put this down, yeah, is with, <laughs> with this show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had the same problem as you guys. Finding a purple banded cigar was not easy. I thought I had some. Las Calaveras, right? And I, I should have checked beforehand. I didn't, right? Then, um, so I went with uh, a cigar that has a little purple in the band. Nice. Uh, you can see some purple. Oh, nice. Right? Yeah. And that is the CAO BX3. Um, this is a cigar that's having its own trademark issue right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over the actual flame. So, look, uh, I'm going to keep the trademark thing added. As you guys figure that out. Um, I wish, and, but I'm going to smoke the cigar anyway uh, with this. Uh, but there was another thing is I am going to talk about color a few times tonight. Right. With this with, with, with this album and not just the color purple. Mm. So um, I said, well, there's a lot of color on this band. So um, I went with that and I've done Opus X on the show before. So I wanted to switch it up. So, yeah. yeah. So there you go. That's what we're smoking. I'm uh, on fire. I waited to fire mine up because I want to give Dave a head start. Oh, I, I, I could have started mine like, you know, when I woke <laughs> yeah. up this morning. <laughs> yeah, you're going to. Well, well, before we kind of get into the show, uh, Dave, any any problems with birds today or no? No, no, no. So okay. behind me is a nest. Yeah. But uh, I usually get swoop mad if you didn't know, like birds. Attack yeah. Me. The last time I was on, 
with you guys attacked? you were you were getting i mean they weren't straight up attacking but they were they were doing flybys every <laughs> once in a while he, he got attacked actually on one of the episodes either before or after where yeah. i mean it was like and sometimes what i do is i have the screen off to the side so i have to have the screen off to the side so i really couldn't see where this was attacking him until after we recorded the show and i'm like holy cow he was like putting his life out there these birds were like crow crazy. I got the I got the headphones, so they can't you know they can't peck through. So I got yeah, attention. Go. Yep. <laughs> yep. I the one would just flat into the screen. Oh, that would be that would be good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'd be good video. Yep. All right, so let's get into our main topic of the night. Uh, the album is Purple Rain. Um, and and I'll just kind of like just kick this one off here. I, I originally I wanted to do this album in two years. For now, Mark Gary for the 40th anniversary. Mm. I couldn't wait. Okay. And, you know, we have a Minnesota, we have some Minnesota connections here. Uh, and I thought, let's see if we can, you know, we talked about, and I talked to Dave, let's just pull it off. We can do something else for Purple Rain's 40th anniversary in a couple. I have another idea we could do, by the way, Dave, for that. Ooh. Um, so, Hello. but yeah, we will, yeah. But, but yeah, but I think it's our album archaeology goes. Um, there's a lot I could say about this album here. So, um, but what we'll do is I guess we're going to go through some of the general thoughts first. Yeah. So, um, I'll just, I'll kick off cause I got, I'll leave it up to you all. Cause you all far more. I mean, I only really, I, I don't know the movie that well. So I'm only really know this album through the music itself. Like I don't know the album that well or the, the movie I should say. Uh, I love the record. Um, some of my favorite Prince tracks are on this record and I guess what, and I and and I'll, I'll this will be my last point, and I'll leave it to you all. But what I found in this record, because when I listened to it to get ready for the show, I listened to like the whole thing front to back. So I didn't I didn't listen to some one time and some another time. I right. listened to the whole thing. That's how, and that's go. how you want to do it. By the way, this is one of those albums you want to listen to it like you did. Yeah, it's a far more focused album than I thought. Like there's it's far it's got like definite themes in it. Yeah, like it's a far more focused album than I originally thought. Um, and I th- I think it's one of his best records, really. I mean, listening to it, I'm like, there's no, it's 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 just great. Like even the even the songs that he takes a pretty pretty big swing on, um, are still really interesting. So I think it's one of his best best records. His vocal on it is just right. incredible. I agree. Like, I could not get over his vocal on this record. No, I totally I totally agree with you on that. Oh, by the way, you what have mandatory got- homework to watch the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen it yeah. in forever. I got it. I got it. I watched it I last night, it. and um, and it was I, I. There was some things I wanted to watch it last night because the I think we'll get into it. The movie is very much tied to this album. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that's Matt, all I got. I'm gonna I'm gonna clear the stage. All right, Matt. <laughs> we'll give you a chance to give some general thoughts of what you have. Well, the uh, the first thing that stood out to me was, um, and this really is the same with Prince's whole career like after Prince passed away um, the, you know, his studio Paisley park being right here in the area. Um, you know, we, the news was pretty regular about the family members and, and, you know, involved with, uh, you know, you know, cause there's, there's always property, you know, asset disputes. And a lot of what Prince had for assets was recordings, audio recordings and, and, somewhere in the neighborhood of 3000 unreleased songs. Yep. Um, that he has recorded that, that maybe 
maybe a hundred people in the world have ever heard. Um, and Purple Rain was really kind of similar. They had they had I don't even remember, but many many songs that that made maybe some of the early cuts, but didn't make mm -hmm. what we know now as the final final album of Purple Rain. Um, and this just like I wrote it, the combination of the film with this album pretty much made the eighties, the eighties. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quintessential. You cannot look back on the eighties without talking about purple rain, the movie and purple rain, the album. Uh, no, period. no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, and he was absolutely the greatest of his generation musically. I mean, he, a lot of his early stuff, he played everything. He played every instrument. He sang every part. He did all of it himself until he could find musicians that he trusted enough to to work alongside him. Uh, and he he was just so incredibly talented in every way, um, you know, musically and creatively. Um, and there there's the this thing known as the Minneapolis Sound, which is like uh, it's a it's a particular style of funk. That's really heavy with synthesizers and um, higher, higher pitched, higher pitching on the drum tunings and stuff like that. And and it it the Minneapolis sound was a thing. Prince kind of he didn't innovate or create the Minneapolis sound, but he he really made it popular and brought it to the masses. And this this movie and records were a big part of bringing it to absolutely. the world. Absolutely, absolutely. We all got a like inside First Avenue. Was like we considered the holy grail of the Minneapolis sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the when they did the live recording, so late late in '83, mm. they got together at First Avenue to to do a live recording, and there was it was for charity. They had there there was a children's performing arts charity, I think, and and Prince wanted to raise money for the charity, so he said, okay, we'll do this live recording thing. Um, and I put a link to the video on our show notes. You guys have to watch yep. it because there's a lot of great commentary, just just text commentary on the screen throughout it. If it, 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 it's funny because you look back at all the, his, the all the great big events of history, you know, whether it's the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the Magna Carta or, you know, uh, the JFK assassination or meeting Winston Churchill or but. On my list of things, if I had a time machine and I could go go back and watch a, a historic event with my own eyes and be in the room when it happened, it's that live recording. Mm. I would I, I would I would pay every last dollar I had to be able to be in the room when that happened. What an absolute epic performance! Oh, yeah. I mean, I I just would love to go back to that. Yeah, I. I, I uh... I I'm I'm gonna actually put that in when we put up the show notes um as well for the audience so they'll get that as well. But yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like I said we Matt, it was so key because when we saw those shots of First Avenue in the movie trailers, mm -hmm. not even the movie hadn't come out. Mm. We all kind of just got it. It had growing up in New York the. The it, it equated to Studio Fifty Four for us, which yeah. is kind of had it was that type of an effect mm. it had on us. Uh, you know, when I was in Minneapolis in twenty twenty, I spent like I I spent an afternoon there, right? And I had to I had to go see First Avenue where it was and everything. I I went down, I took some pictures, and before my flight took off, 
uh it was so it was, it was an amazing thing so yeah i uh, remember the first time i saw it firsthand after i mean after i saw it, the movie when i was you know in 84 and then um the first time i the first time i drove by first avenue uh i i, I was just it, it was it was it was like driving by uh, a, a great landmark as far as I was concerned being such a big music fan my whole life you know it was I think it was um sometime around 1995 or 96 that I that I was in Minneapolis for the first time as far I mean I had lived there a little prior but actually taking time to drive downtown and I was just blown away I I mean I actually you know, felt sort of a sense of reverence. And and now I sort of take it for granted because I walk by it and drive by it all the time. So I sort of take it for granted. But, but you know, the stars on the wall painted outside with everybody's names and all the people who performed yeah. there, it's it's a really cool place. And, it's mm. in the, and for folks who don't know, it's in the epicenter of Minneapolis. It's not like it's... Yeah. Like you're yeah. you're not far from the stadiums. It's it's it's... That's the part that surprised me is I didn't realize it was right in the heart of Minneapolis, that place. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it looks nothing like it did in '84. No, I mean, it definitely was when different when I started. Yeah. yeah, and the neighborhood looks completely different too. Yeah, I mean, aside, see the aside shot, from yeah. aside from the the wall with all the you know painted stars and stuff like that, it really uh, other than that, it doesn't look anything the same because they've done different street, yeah. you know, rerouting and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, here are some thoughts I'm going to have, and I'll try to go through these somewhat quickly. But if you have any. Stop me if you do need to. Um, I call this the definitive album of the 80s. Um, I agree. It's hard to separate the film from the album. I have taken this approach. It's not a true soundtrack. Okay, but it's Prince and the Revolution's contributions to the music of the film. And at the same time, I think this album stands on its own. Now, why do you say, well, it's not really a true soundtrack? Because there are basically the non-Prince songs are not included on it, right? Which I think would have made it a, a true soundtrack. And by the way, I heard an interview with Morris Day. That was kind of by design. Prince didn't want those. He, he wanted those songs separate. He, yeah. he wanted this album to stand on his own as much as uh, from an artistic standpoint from his band. So he yeah. didn't want to like do like what the Bee Gees did with Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Uh, you went. We're going to talk a lot about the uh, this paring down of the songs and the edits. Right. Mm. Um, and I have a couple of things I'll mention on that is. I think they still created a mess. You know what? I don't like maybe what they did with some of the edits. Um, I still think they created a masterpiece. But I also think if this album was released in 1994, it would have been a different album. We, we probably would have had a longer album. They, you know, mm. but they were trying to put that on a single LP cassette at the time. So they didn't have, they were, we, we've talked Dave on, Dave and I've talked a lot about this on the show. You have the dilemma of doing a double album. Prince had already done a double album before this. So the record company wasn't going to give him that option to do another double album. Mm -hmm. So um, what I tell people, I want to talk a lot about the deluxe edition, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the nine core songs. But along the way, I'll mention a few things from the deluxe edition that you get because you can find some of the stuff that was chopped off in, in there. Um, now, I want to just mention something. This, this album and this film is loaded with symbolism. OK, uh, it's, 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 it's I, I think the movie's more of an allegory. There's so much in the way of symbolism. We're going to talk about the symbolism. Um, I want to just kind of show you something, though, real quick. Um, Here we you know, go. I'll pull this up. There's your color wheel. OK, oh, a bit of color wheel. Yeah. All right. You see purple? Mm -hmm. Prince's color. <laughs> see yellow? 
Yep. That was Morris Day's color. That's right. Oh, really? So Morris okay. Day, you know, he is a member of the of the Paisley Park entourage who played Prince's rival in the movie. So uh... I, I think there were little things like that. You'll see the use of, of blue as a color of depression. Um, you'll see other things like uh, purple as a color of, of royalty. So there's a lot of little things like I think that the symbolism comes up over and over again on here. Um, and I, I, I've always kind of been, been as far as that goes. Dave and I, Matt, talk about when we buy an album, we have ten, there's times when we have bought the album multiple times. <laughs> so yeah. this is one of those cases. I originally bought the thing on LP. Same. Then I uh, I didn't want to just, I said, you know what? I want to have a good recording for the automobile. So I went and bought a cassette. Same. Then compact disc came out. Same. That was third. <laughs> then I found, then I found the purple disc, which was fourth, right? Which I didn't, I have the purple disc, which is fourth. And I had to buy that in the secondary market. And then I bought the deluxe edition. So I have five iterations <laughs> of this album is what I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then finally, the other thing I just mentioned is we've talked, we did Pet Sounds, okay? And we talked about the rivalry between the, Be uh, the, the Beatles and, the, and yep. the Beach Boys. There was a little of this going on with Michael Jackson. Actually, there was more of it going on with Michael Jackson. The difference is this was very acrimonious, this, this rivalry. They, they did not like each other. Um, and I think what happened, like what happened is 1999 came out in like October of 1982. A month later, Thriller comes out. And a mm. lot of people said when Prince heard Thriller, he was obsessed with uh, coming up with something. Um, and he actually went to his management and basically said, not only do I want to come out with this album, but I want to do a motion picture. And he told his management straight out, you, you find me someone who's going to give me this motion picture. Um, and I do know from this is some of the stories I've heard and read about. And heard it through my dad, but you know, uh, Michael Jackson's record company actually knew that they were filming Purple Rain, so then they pushed to do a version of Thriller, an extended video, so it would qualify for an Oscar uh, nomination. It was that yeah. was the type of rivalry that was going on with that, yeah. So that's a little like my perspectives on this movie, a uh, movie, uh, album. Excuse me. Mm, that's... Yeah. No, I mean it gets right into the history. You covered a lot of it. Just some quick things. Yeah. You got some good this stuff was, here, Dave. Yeah. This was on Warner Brothers. And uh, from what I read, this is the first collaborative album that Prince did. So a lot of his records were like he wrote them. He did all the, all the instruments. Because for people that don't know, Prince is like a genius at, at like instruments in general. Like he could play almost anything. He's really like Paul McCartney is sort of like that. Could play like anything. It's the same sort of thing. Um so, but this is the first time he did a record with the revolution. And a lot of people credit his willingness to collaborate with the revolution as why the album is so good. Um, the revolution actually talked a that. lot about that too, how they, the Prince was very open with that. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. Um, so, and, and Coop talked a lot about some of the other stuff. Um, the, the purple rain, he talked about how it was inspired by Ventura highway, that song. And, um, he was talking about um, a blood red sky and blood and uh, red and blue come together, and make purple. And um, he's talked about that in interviews. Um, what Coop said in the notes to here is a uh, purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith slash God guide you through the purple rain. And 
when you listen to this record I mentioned before, these like really religious themes sort of come up There's throughout the record. It. Yeah. Um, which is cool and it really taps into this and it's gonna tap into his career. Like later on in his career, he, he like the, the the famous thing is he pulled the black album because he was born again and didn't want like that sex music out there. So he's sort of his like his entire career has had this theme ever theme of, of, of religion stuff. Uh, speaking of Purple Rain, I read he originally wanted it to be a country track with Stevie Nicks. I've heard that, too. And yeah. he sent it to Stevie. And Stevie's like, I can't do this song. Are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, OK, so Stevie Nicks turned it down because he's like totally overwhelmed. It was like, I can't be on a Prince record. Yeah. Like That's going to be crazy. Um, so that was originally what I was supposed to do. Um, the record itself spent 24 weeks at number one and sold over 20 million copies. Uh, like Coop said, there's been various versions of it. There's a purple vinyl version. Yep, uh, that's uh, the one I have. I have the purple vinyl. So there's lots of different versions yeah. Yeah. Um, of this. Um, I'm just going to go over. This is the people that are in the revolution, at least that I looked up. So we got Matt, Dr. Fink on the synth, uh, Brown Mark on the bass, Bobby Z, Rifkin on the drums, Eric Leeds on the sax, Wendy Melvillain, who I will talk about Wendy in a little bit, on guitar, and Lisa uh, Coleman on the keyboards. Do you hear them in the intro to one of the songs? Um, much, I have a lot to talk about with that, that intro, but I did a lot of research with that intro. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty incredible. Yeah. So so what they would do as a warm up is they would just do like free form jazz warm ups apparently, and a couple of those warm ups turned into songs on the record. Uh, so we'll get to those, but like they would do that as a warm up together, and they, a couple of those turned into turned into um, songs. Now, Wendy and Lisa were children of session musicians that played in L.A. who worked with the Beach Boys and with a bunch of other people. So apparently, Prince in this collaborative process really relied on their opinions a lot because of this sort of background that they had. Which, ironically, Dave, in the movie, it's the opposite. Like. Yeah, that Prince is ignoring them, right? In the movie, but that was far further from the truth. I, apparently, from all the interviews I've heard with Lisa and Wendy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they had this sort of background yeah. that, that Prince really respected from the session musician uh, background. Um, yeah, and I guess like Coop said, the other the last thing I had was that he he wanted it to be a double record, but had to cut it down. even as a solo LP, it's a bit shorter. Than some other LPs that we've done. It, it is um, like for the 39 minutes or something like that. Yeah. I mean, just track, I mean, track wise as well, but, um, but yeah, so he wanted originally to be, like you said, like a double, right? but cut it down to a single. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, and they still talk about it, like revolution, the people in the revolution still talk about this record and like the recording of it and everything and the live recordings too, which you touched on at first half, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, which is pretty crazy. No, it it definitely is. Uh, and like I said, I, I hit I hit my other points already. I had to listen here, so you don't have to worry about that. But um, but yeah, it is, I think um, you know, I the revolution was a very colorful bunch of characters. Um, I mean, I think the guy was Doctor Fink was kind of the guy because he always wore the surgical garb on stage, right? Or you know, that was his that was but you know, he was the guy like I thought was the coolest guy in the in the revolution. Um, which Prince would stick with for two more albums. 
or actually yeah. three. I think sign, but sign of times when they we shifted out at that point. Yeah, so uh, let's let's get into the let's get into the, the record. Yeah, so we're gonna get into the nine core tracks of this album, um, and we'll go through them in order. And and Matt, one thing just so you know with the album that we talk a lot about is um, placement of songs, um, and what sides they come on. And this is an album Dave we could cover in sides because it was released mm, as an yeah. LP. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's newer albums we have a tougher time covering side one and side two because there's no, you know, they weren't released on LP originally. So yeah. Once 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 people start releasing stuff on CD, they just dump whatever they got onto it because they don't got to yeah. worry about yeah space or anything. <laughs> so if they record something over lunch, they just dump it on the record anyway. <laughs> yep. Um, but I'll I'll kick it off with the first one, mm-hmm. and like we talk about album like like having an opening track, having this be an opening track is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I I I adore the and, and what this record has a lot of which I really which I really experienced a lot when I listened to it front to back is it has this real evangelical like traveling show vibe like as Prince is sort of like that like you know evangelical sort of like uh communal tent sort of preacher kind of guy or like Baptist church sort of performative preacher and you're like the congregation mm-hmm. so the audience is the congregation and he's like leading it uh but in this church it's all about like funk and sex which is different than like, a lot of others um but it was amazing i love that evangelical beginning it's got this sexy bluesy funk and he's just the and i'll get to my closing thoughts but his vocal on this record is unbelievable like it just it, it it has that very so it's so charismatic and you get that on this first track. Uh, amazing guitar work. I think sometimes that gets lost, and I don't really know whose guitar is whose when 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 I didn't dissect the tracks that much. But it, people forget like how good of a guitarist Prince was, um, and he was a very good guitarist. So it's cool to have great riffs on these tracks. Um, but yeah, I love it. I mean, I mean, if you're going to open an album like this is what you open. This is amazing. First track. Listen, I think Prince was was this is my this is me. My my opinion. I think when he heard Thriller and heard Eddie Van Halen's guitar solo. Right. Mm. He's like, I'm a better fucking pl- the guitar player than Eddie. This is, this yes. is him. Talking, right. Yes. So I'm going to play this shit myself. And I, and I honestly yeah, yeah, think yeah. that drove a lot of what happened on this al- album was the rivalry with Jack Jackson. Yeah. No, that's, what do you think? Yeah. Give us your thoughts, Matt. Bust it. The, well, get this Princeton going. I agree with you that it's this has got to be one of the best album openers of all time. And it's mm. it, it, even if this even if this album had nothing to do with a movie, even if the motion picture Purple Rain was never made, and this album just stood on these nine tracks without the movie, yep. this oh. it, it is it is so well executed in layout and in instrumentation and this opening i agree it's this big tent revival yes. you got the preacher up there getting all the you know getting them getting people you know worked up into a spiritual frenzy and then boom the drums come in the guitars come in and then and then the synthesizers come in and it's just absolutely insane and it's such a perfect title too because it, and it's just it's it's a it's a beautiful dance track. I mean, this song, 
if if you were in junior high or high school in the 1980s and <laughs> and and there was a high school dance going on after a, a Friday night football game and this song wasn't being played then there was a problem with the sound system basically you know this song was just quintessential 80s and um and I love the fact that this it's so perfectly placed at the beginning because this song lets the lets the listener know what they're in for for the rest of the album Mm. They're, they're they're gonna be they're gonna have just um they're gonna have this music just just belted into their ears and they need to strap in and get ready for it um and i love the fact that this song is it's really good fusion and a mix of that minneapolis funk sound and just pure blues rock bluesy rock and roll mm. it's a great fusion of those those styles uh and it's it's one of if not the best popular music guitar solos of all time it's mm. uh, that guitar solo is is absolutely unbelievable i agree that's what i got oh yeah oh all right uh you know we did a show on called track one a couple of weeks ago and you may say where was this song but if you listen to that show we we purposely mentioned we knew we were doing this show so we didn't include that on the track one show but we gave I think, we, Dave, we did reference that this was absolutely... And that show was oh, yeah. focused on great first tracks of an album. It's hard to top this one, is all I can say. Um, it is. Um, it, it could be the greatest opening track of all time. You can make that argument. And the, idea, the thing is that this was actually the second single released from the album. So Dove's Cry was actually the first single. It came out Oof. in the spring of 84. And then around... The early part of the summer, as the movie was getting ready to release, they released Let's Go Crazy. And that's the song they used for the trailer, which was like perfect. Again, it, it created an energy, right, that you'd want to like see this movie. Um, but typically, it's also a strategy. We've talked about that a lot of times when an album single is released, you don't want to release this first single as the first track. You want to try to get someone a little, you want to get them a little deeper into the album. Right. So I, I think that's that's a deliberate strategy that goes there. Um, there's no question that there was not another song on this album qualified to be the lead track like this song was. So it was placed perfectly. Um, the song opens with, you know, in a way I look at it a little different. It opens with a eulogy. That's something you kind of think about. You close something out on there, right? Um, but, but no, it's kind of, it's brilliant how it's moved into the gateway, into this whole musical experience. A lot of this concept, Prince had a, was very close with George Clinton. Um, he eventually would work with George Clinton with Graffiti Bridge, which that's yeah. another story. So, but he got a lot <laughs> of that influence from from uh, from George Clinton. Um, it's a Christian charged song. The lyrics are about getting through life, battling evil. Uh, there's metaphors in this song. The elevator, don't let the mm. elevator bring us down. The, is the devil. Um, the purple banana is basically uh, purple being the sign of royalty, but it's also a sign of uh, salvation. And I think. That's kind of what that reference to the metaphor is. But this was a song that hit the chopping block. Okay. Mm. And um, unfortunately, the, the jazz, the jazz interlude that, that you see in the movie was chopped off. Yeah. And it is a friggin', it was a friggin' great thing. That extended version was. I, I managed, I remember when, when I had to go buy the 12 inch single to get that version of it, right? That was in the movie. But that whole jam they do, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. 
it was it was chopped because again they had a chopped sauce. I still think they did a great edit on it. Don't get me wrong, but mm. I love that I love that jazzy keyboardy you know sound in there. Some of the guitar riffs they throw in and that that interlude is is missing. But it was it, it had a sacrifice for the album. Uh, the good news you can get that on the deluxe album, so you get both mm. the the original version uh, that's on the original album, and then you can get that extended version on on the deluxe edition. And that's what I have to say about Let's Go Crazy. Oh, it's just such a great opening track. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, regardless if they consider themselves Prince fans or not, if they're around music listening age around that time, even later, you just play that in like just him preaching that intro and they know yeah. who it is. They know the track. They know, I mean, it's so iconic. Yeah. Yeah. You just get to Dearly Beloved and everybody knows what the song is. I mean, it's pretty, pretty nuts. Yeah, it, they really do. I mean, you could post a, like someone, Matt Tobacco, I posted a picture of me watching the movie last night and his first things were Dearly Beloved. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah, oh. yeah. It, that's it's how it's like, impact. Has, yes. The effect they put on yeah. his vocal too to have it sort of echo a little bit. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's just so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dave, so we, Coop, how you, old were you oh, when this album came out? You, when to come out a four, I would have yeah. been nine. Okay, nine so Matt and I were older, and and we were probably able to go see this when it came into the theaters. Yeah, I saw, I bought, I bought the album before I went. So I was thirteen. I bought the album before I went to see the movie, and I bought an early edition album, and am sick to my stomach that I sold a bunch of records back in the mid 90s and this my my first edition uh <laughs> purple rain on vinyl i sold at in like 1996 like an idiot <laughs> yeah i'm still sad about that it happens yeah. oh speaking of purple rain take us to the next track coop take me with you take me uh, with you coop on this yeah. track um this is the second uh this is the second track on the album it was the fifth single released. It only hit number 25 on the charts, but by then Purple Rain had gone through this 24-week run, right? So mm. it was a little harder to chart a single at that point because a lot of people had went and bought albums, right? So, yeah. But that doesn't take away that this was a, a great song. Uh, it was the last song to make the album. And a lot of like uh, some mm. of the cutting that happened was on Let's Go Crazy and, and Computer Blue was to make room for this single. Um, I think it's, first of all, a great second track on the album it's the only track where prince shares the lead vocals with someone outside the revolution uh and that's apollonio Cotero, who put uh, mm. apollonia um but a lot of people may know the story that um originally uh prince was gonna have an artist by the name of vanity uh in the movie to play the lead woman uh he had a falling out with vanity and they split um and uh originally this was gonna be a single sung by the band vanity six Vanity's out of the picture. Apollonia comes in. They create the Apollonia Six, um, and this was supposed to be on the Apollonia album, uh, Six album. Uh, that was again the the time all these Paisley Park artists were doing separate albums for their stuff. Mm. Prince at the last time uh, said, "No, I want this song," and he grabs it right. And um, this is uh, you know the great synth melodies, the string arrangements in this song are are, mm. are incredible. It's a it's a perfect second track, right before you're getting ready to, to purify yourself in Lake Minnetonka. So yeah. I mean, it's like perfect, yeah. 
How about you, Matt? What are your thoughts on the second the second track here? Yeah, I mean, uh, Coop nailed a lot of it, and it's it's really true that this it's a great second track. It it's mm. you know, let's go crazy is so big and over the top, and this this kind of brings it down without um, bringing it too far down. You know, it's still got yeah. it's still mm-hmm. got a classic pop feel to it, uh, and I like the fact that this song, um. It has a little bit of uh, Prince sound from prior to Purple Rain and a little bit that gives us an idea of some sounds he's going to use again 10 years later. So mm. so the you know, it's got a little bit of that same poppy, the synth drums, you know, that, mm. that you heard on Little Red Corvette. And he brings that back in with this song, um, Take Me With You. And then there's also these really interesting bell sounds. If you listen closely to the song, there's these bell sounds in it that are, um, they're almost like, uh, you know, the, uh, the bells that, that, uh, belly dancers would have on their fingers, you know, mm-hmm. that they would, that they would ring when they dance. And he, he didn't use those very often. And he, he, they kind of played a part later, when when he made uh diamonds and pearls you know and he used him in the song cream and get off and there was like that was what 10 years later that that album came out so yeah uh it's i i like the fact that you know uh but but it's just a it's a pure pop hit you know and it's that you know right on the money pop song pure prince you know like will said great incredible string parts yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole how it was used in the movie was brilliant. Yeah. So, you know, again, this was still a soundtrack technically, but the, it's the scene where Apollonia and Prince drive out into the country on the motorcycle. Right. Uh, and it's just mm-hmm. it's just th- that that scene of him driving. On, you get that perspective of him driving down the road on that thing. Her on yeah. the bike. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's incredible. It's it was, it was very it was well shot- done. In the movie. And it was shot in the fall and the leaves are turning and there's yeah. leaves all over the ground that the, you know, and, and they're, they're getting rustled up by the yeah. motorcycle when it goes by and it's yeah. really well done. Yep. Mm. Yep. Very well done. No, I mean, you guys hit on all of it really. I mean, I, the percussion and strings you guys have touched on. Um, and that for me, the song, like in looking at the rest of the album, it had far more of like a classic pop structure to me than some of the other tracks do. Um, like, and I guess like, to, I mean, for people like, you know, it's just, so it's just a very classic pop structure, this, this song, but his vocal is so good. Like, yeah. I, I just can't, it's going to be an ongoing theme with my <laughs> responses, but it's but, just so good. And he takes his a secondary vocal. role in the duet with this. Yeah. yeah. But whenever he comes in, yeah. it's so good, Coop. It's yeah, just, he's got a mm. you know that brought drive me crazy, drive me all night. When you hear him say that, it it they did a little bit of mixing with the with 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 the vocal clearly there, and it just kind of blends in perfectly. Yeah, but you're right, the vocals are re- really good. Apollonia, I, I think he recognized that these were great vocals, and I think that's why he pushed to have this this song on the album. Mm. Um, and I think like I said it worked perfect with how it supported it with the movie. So I'm okay, and I love this song, but I think it's a great song too. I think, too, what this album really showcases is his range. Like, there's a big range on the vocal as well. In that, yeah. like, he can kind of, it kind of can suit, like, any structure of the song. Like, he could have more of your classic pop song. 
he can get like really sexy and funky with it. Like he can throw those falsettos out there that just like melt you. Like he he his vocal like is very sort of flexible on this record, and it really sort of suits any structure, really. Yeah. Oh, I love. I'm gonna listen to this again after the show. He's so good. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Now this one, Coop, you got. We got the beautiful ones. Is the next track. So we're we're sort of kind of deep into uh, side one now. Yep. Um. I'll th- we'll, we'll kick it off with you, Matt. What What did you like about the beautiful ones? What are your thoughts there? Well, this. I mean, it's another example of how well they structured this album because this it's it's just you know it's this is the next step down where we get Mm. we we get really intimate and 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 slow and funky you know with this one and uh those the way it starts out with the 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 synth sounds just those drawn out synthesizers and then prince comes in with the vocal and you just want to cry i mean it's so beautiful in that falsetto you know and and it's 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 really haunting the vocals on this one um it's incredible and i the the other thing that i just really stands out to me is prince did a lot of spoken word stuff throughout Mm. his songs uh not just on purple rain but this was this was a really great use of spoken word in Mm. in this song to to kind of bring it back um you know bring the attention back to the next verse so really well done. Nice. How about you, Coop? Yeah, I you know I agree with Matt. Um, it was definitely a, um he took a lot of advantage of since pop sounds. He built this, I think, a little more. There's a little bit of an, an old old school R and B vibe I get from this song as well. Yeah. Um, mm. but that synth pop adds adds something like a sound I've never heard before with that. Now nobody plays the jilted lover better than Prince in his music is what I'll say. Right? <laughs> and it is lots of songs that, that he's the jilted lover here. In the movie, this is the love triangle scene, right? He, it's him, Morris Day, and Apollonia are, are, are this love triangles building. He's up on stage. He sees Morris and Apollonia, and he starts singing this song right to Apollonia uh, with Morris just sitting there in horror. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Um, it it wasn't planned for the Purple Rain album originally. There was another song called Electric Intercourse that they were planning to use, and I think a lot of what happened was that scene ended up switching out Electric Intercourse for for this one. And it's also based a, a lot of the principles that this was a true story, but it's not clear who was the actual influence. Um, someone by the name of Susan Rogers, who was part of his management team. Uh, says that Prince wrote the song for uh, Susanna Melvoin, uh, who's Wendy's mm-hmm. sister, who's an, he was trying to pull her away from the other current boyfriend. Prince has kind of hinted it was more about vanity, right? So, you know, again, this was kind of based. I think that the fact that this was based on a true life experience, it mm-hmm. brings to the emotion of, this, of the song. Um, and obviously it's, it's, we see it in the movie, but I think, again, you don't need to see the movie to figure out what's going on here with, with mm. this, right? This is something that stands on its own. Uh, there's lots of symbolism, the idea of a paint a perfect picture, bring the vision, uh, one's mind. And they say the beautiful ones always smash the picture. So the idea of, you know, that's, I think the picture is life here and mm-hmm. things can go wrong here. So, you know, again, you, you see some, um, but yeah, just, just an absolute great live track too. Uh, wasn't released mm. as a single. But it's absolutely become a, a one of the 
folklore Prince tracks. Like it's it's one of his most popular tracks to date. Mm-hmm. I seen your notes, Coop. They had a track they seem to put in there called Electric Intercourse, and that's phenomenal. Yeah, you can get an Electric Intercourse, <laughs> by the way, on the deluxe that, album. Yeah, that is a title for a song, man. It's a good song. Uh, yeah, I'd encourage it is you to listen. A good song. Yeah, I'd encourage you to listen to it. I yeah, I. I mean, like Matt said, you made a lot of great points. Is that that sort of sci-fi kind of funk synth in the beginning is is quite good. And it really sort of like immediately like gets you up and listening to the song like, oh, what am I? You know, what's going on here? Because um, it has this sort of sci-fi vibe to it. His like, I mean, I people said it over and over, but his falsetto, it's got to be one of the best in music history, surely. Yeah. Like in in pop rock music history. And one of the most famous, I mean, really. Um, and I think on this song, for me, I mean, we could talk about the instruments and stuff, but I think the vocal really carries the song for me. Yeah. And everything sort of sort of hangs off of that. And it's just so emotive. That's the one thing with this record is this vocal is so much emotion in it. Like, it's such an emotive vocal. Yeah, and it hits right away. That's one of the things I mean. Oh. After the and you, that's a great way to put it, Dave. Say sci-fi because it does at the be. It almost sounds like a video game at the beginning, mm. or or a sci-fi movie when it when it starts, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this baby, baby. I mean, I just oh, oh my gosh, it's but, so good. And it's there's a so haunting good. feel, Matt, at that beginning yes, too. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I mean, those 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 synths is sort of a throwback to that mothership funk kind of sound. Yeah. Um. You know that sort of otherworldly, uh, and 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 the end too with the guitar and when he just like goes crazy with the vocal, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's just great punctuation on the song. I I mean, I could gush over this out. I am yeah. gonna gush over this out. Yeah. <laughs> so and and that's incredible. a great that's a great point you make because again I go back that Prince was very much um, he George Clinton had a big influence on him, mm. uh, and I think he got a little bit of that again from Paul Minfunkadelic too that that type of futuristic type of so I think there's no yeah. doubt he was influenced from George Clinton with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll get into this too uh as we lead on, but it's this also this album also had a very James Brown feel to me. Where it's like because James Brown had that sort of like evangelical preacher to the congregation kind of like like the band with James Brown was just like they were just for the there for James Brown. It's yeah. sort of like the band and the audience, everybody was there for James Brown. It's sort of like this with Prince. Even though the revolution is its own thing, you get a feeling with this record that it's a very sort of like singular experience. Like a, like James Brown. You get I get a James Brown vibe. Well, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And especially with this song, because James Brown had the shtick that he would do in most of his concerts where... I don't remember which song it was, but where, you know, he'd go down on one knee and the guy would come behind and put the robe over him and then throw off the robe and he'd start singing again. And Prince does that in the movie with this song, where at one point he's he's laying down on the stage like I can't I'm so heartbroken. I can't get. So that's that. That's a very well put. Yeah, I I, I was going to say, that's why, like I said, I think the song stands on its own, but like. Dave, again, if you go back and watch the movie, see how this plays out on stage, you'll see exactly why this was why this song, like why this song was brilliant for the movie as well. Yeah. Mm, oh. And we go to the next song, Computer Blue, which in the history I read sort of came out of one of those jazz warm-ups, this track. Sort of came out 
of one of those warm-ups. Um, and this, too, it's like this cr- crazy, psychedelic kind of... I wrote my notes. It felt like something out of Tron. <laughs> I don't yes. know why. That's, that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It, it just has this, like... Um, this psychedelic sort of vibe. And I know they're talking about in Prince's early music, he had a lot of this sort of more psychedelic sort of vibe going on. And that's sort of a carryover into this song. Um, I mean, it's got the funk in there as well, but it's, it just like, I guess coming from the previous song, it kind of carries that more sort of like sort of sci-fi otherworldly sort of psychedelic kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and they got Wendy and Lisa in the beginning, which I know Cooper's going to talk more about. So I'm not going to go into that too much. But uh, you hear Wendy and Lisa in the beginning there, and um, and yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a great track, and it and it, and it really flows well with the previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, so I guess Coop, what do you think of what did you think of Computer Blue? The most underrated track of the album, um, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it's the first of like a, a of a two psychedelic style tracks on this album with Darling Nikki following up as the second one. So I Dave, I agree with a lot of your points. Uh this was a song that really hit the chopping block. So uh there's a on the deluxe version, uh you'll see the, the planned version of this was about twelve minutes long. It's it's been nicknamed the hallway speech version. Um it has more verses of the song. Um, and you get a lot more if you really want a good Minneapolis jam with this uh, Minneapolis sound jam. You're gonna get that with that. There's even a little bit of a progressive rock type of influence on there. Yeah, good. That's um, a good point. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is when even though it made the chopping block, some of the some of the instrumental parts of that extended version were included in the score, which is not on the mm-hmm. album, right? So the score is some of the movie kind of just some of the instrumentals that supports that. So, um, you know, as far as that goes, um. That's you know I thought that was good, but I still you know I, I still think it's a good song. It, it the edited version comes in at three fifty nine. It, it's on uh under three fifty nine. Uh, blues the color depression, and it was used I think in this movie perfectly because it's the scene where Prince is dealing with his home right after his home life. He's back on stage like his bed home life, so I can see why they used the the color there. Um, and there's also additional spoken words on that extended version by Lisa and Wendy. Now. I don't know, Matt. We, I don't want to see any Matt's thunder. So, Matt, uh, but I want to talk about the spoken words. So, well, yeah, go ahead. Okay, because I did a lot of research on this. <laughs> okay, um, so famous words that begin the song. Uh, Wendy, yes, Lisa, is the warm water warm off? Yes, Lisa. Shall we begin? Yes, Lisa. So there is kind of a lesbian teaser. Is is the only thing I could tell you that that song had okay yeah and what happened years later it was revealed that lisa and wendy were in a in a relationship right um they interviewed lisa and wendy after prince died and asked the question about this these vocals and they were very forthright they said prince was playing with us he suspect it was kind of like he suspected Mm. it and he, he basically he never like he never like you know he just never kind of asked point blank, but he knew he, he knew is what, what what basically said, and that was his way of kind of putting it in there. And they thought it was brilliant the way it worked into the song, and they rolled with it is what they said. But that yeah. that is exact. So if you thought like I thought it was always this lesbian teaser, 
back then, um, it was. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened with that. Yeah. And it became- well, there, there were even uh, rumors that there was talk early in some of the writing of the script. Some of the early versions of the script had some of their their uh, intimate relationship in there but the producers mm. said we got to take that out we can't have that in the movie right in, it would have absolutely in, been in, 19, in there 20 years later though yeah because yeah, in 1984 that, that you know they they saw they saw the idea of putting uh any kind of lesbian theme in a movie as like absolutely not they yeah, they was, we yeah. absolutely can't do that yeah. in, in 1984 yeah you're you're 100% right coot just 10 years later, maybe even six or seven years later, they, if they would have made the movie in, in 90 or 94, it probably would have made it in the movie. Yeah. Those, those, right. themes, those ideas would have yeah. made it in the movie, but in 84 there, it was like unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that I, and I could see possibly them doing that. Um, what that would have looked like in the movie. Uh, I would, I, I could see maybe something playing out more on stage than yeah. maybe a, a, outside this stage, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So we are at the closing song of side one. Wait, did Matt, did we get Matt on this one? Oh, sorry, Matt. Did you go this one? Oh, well, the, the only I other thing you. that I have, I mean, you guys hit all the, all the big points on the only other thing I have is the, something that really didn't strike me until I listened to this song again last week that I, cause you know, this is one of the deeper tracks that, that I probably hadn't heard in a couple of years, but the, the chord structure, um, the, the, I mean, the feel of the song, it's just, it's, it's a pop rock song. If that's the feel of the song, but the, as I listened to it last week, the, and, and I started, cause sometimes I'll, when I listen to songs, uh, I'll, I'll be sitting at a, piano at home and i'll just you know maybe pick a couple chords from the song and play along while i'm listening to it and some of the chord structure in this song is actually if if you were to put a different percussion feel and a different timing and rhythm to it this could easily be a latin jazz song easily right wow yeah the structure of the chords so that that made me start playing around with it a little bit. And honestly, this song makes a kick-ass Latin jazz song. So wow. someday, I would love for somebody, maybe me, but so I would love for somebody to put out a new cover version of this song with with Latin instrumentation and and a, a, a little bit of a revised beats and feel. And I think it could be a killer Latin jazz tune. Wow. Nice. I, I, I like it. Yeah. See that is why Matt is on the show. He brings the knowledge. Yeah, he's been like Matt. And I know you're going to be talking about this a little later about some of the, the chord structures and which, which is something like Dave and I probably can't bring as much to the table no. on that. And, and that's I think that's really important because I didn't. That's something I wouldn't have picked up on until you said that. No, yeah. I mean it, yeah. it just hit me. I mean I've heard yeah. the song probably a, a thousand times, and it just hit me last week for the first time. I mean, yeah. I listen to the songs with a Pepsi Max, like Matt's at a like at a piano, like tickling <laughs> the ivories. Like that's amazing. <laughs> Not always, but sometimes I, just <laughs> like to, I like to sit at the piano while I'm listening to music and play along with it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, th- this is a side note because you're talking about piano, and I'm going to compare you to Prince right now. But <laughs> the the after Prince's death, they released a lot of him. What he would do is he'd go into his home studio and just like play around with songs. 
like do covers on the piano that they would have might eventually turn into something. And they released, I think it was called like, I can't remember. It was a, it was a 1983. It was just him and a microphone. And it's an album. That's like four songs of him just doing covers at the piano in the studio. And it is incredible. Yes. But like doing what you're saying, like starting out with like a Joni Mitchell blue and then going into some like other jazz song and stuff. It was really cool. Yeah. And, and you just, you just like twig that for me. Um, but let's let's so let's start with with Darling Nikki. Let's kick off with you, Matt. This is a closing song on the first side. Yeah. Um, what did you think of this one? Well, the first thing that came to mind, and I still remember this. I I I, I can re- picture it in my head. Of I bought that album, and because this was only this was early on. I mean, maybe the the third or fourth, I don't know, maybe more than that, but it was, it was one of the first records that I ever bought like myself with my, it's, this is my record. This goes in my record because my parents had a huge record collection and this yeah. was the first time, uh, you know, cause thriller was the first thing I bought with my own money. And then, and yep. then throughout 83 and 84 and, and going on from there, I, I just kept buying, but this was one of the first in my personal record collection. And I remember I had, uh, uh, we had a bigger hi-fi. I know I'm dating myself by using the Listen term. Hi-fi, you, hi-fi. But we had a, we had a bigger hi-fi out in the, in the sort of living room area, but I had a small record player in my room and I bought this album, brought it home and just put it on and let it play. And this was the first time I ever, remember making a conscious decision to never let my parents hear this record. <laughs> ah! so when I heard this song I was like okay so par- mom and dad are never going to hear this one ever and uh, <laughs> because my very extremely you know conservative uh, household and um, but the 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 feel and sound of the song is actually it's very the mu- from a musical perspective an instrumentation perspective it's extremely sparse you know, it's mostly it's mostly just rhythmic, you know, and um, um, and it's almost industrial in a way. Uh, but mm. but then if you go deeper, it really is just a blues rock song uh, at its at its core. Uh, but I love the end when the I mean, it, it builds and builds and builds. And at the end, it's just this double kick drum comes in and these synth mm. horns. I mean, it ev- still, it just absolutely blows my mind when I hear those synth horns and the double kick drum come in at the end. I love it. Hoop, what you got, my friend? Right. So, I, again, I kind of, I like the word industrial better than maybe psychedelic. I use the word psychedelic, but maybe industrial is a better feel for this now. And I'm looking well, now that you said that. Um, Every album, when you have, like, tracks, you have to rank them best to worst. This is nice for me, okay? It's not that it's a bad track or anything like that, but I think the other eight tracks are stronger tracks, but it was clearly put in for the movie, okay? They needed a, a shock value scene for the movie. And this song, like, and Prince had, had other, I think, erotic songs he could have put in there, but this was the one that was needed at that point in the movie, and it was so it was included, it was included on here, right? So, again, but it's when I say it's the ninth song, I'm not saying it, it's, Hey, this song should have just made the cutting board. But at the same time, I'll say this album would have been stronger if, if like a song 17 Days was included in here. 
from an album yeah. standpoint. Uh, it's yeah. just that's my, but that wasn't going to work for the movie. They needed to have this song in the movie. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, it's a great closing track to the first side. It, mm. it really is. Uh, we talk about a track closer, and, and you talk about that last part of this song and everything. It, it, it closes it out perfect because this the second side of this album has a very different vibe to it than mm. the first side of this. Um, especially because there's a lot more live tracks that are on the second one. So, um, but like I said, in, in terms of, I think it was placed perfectly. I understand why it was in here. Um, and uh, you know, this um, this became the song that Tipper Gore would would you know start preaching. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And this was the one that she targeted. So this, this is the song that that basically led to the parental advisory. Ah. Sticker on on records. On, uh, yep, yep. This was the song. Yeah, she was uh, horrified by it. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So, um, yep. That's what happened there. Um, Matt and and Coop are phenomenal with this record. So they they said a lot. Of, I'm just gonna read some of my notes. Verbatim. You have good notes, Dave. You have good notes here. I think you're heading all here. So don't don't. Just because I like just, your first one especially. I because I, yeah. I, I write these notes as I'm listening to the song. Right. So I wrote. This sounds like some weird prog noise music. Very Bjork in some ways. <laughs> yes. You're not. You're, you're, that is, that is spot, spot on. on. It's spot on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and then I put like, <laughs> like I put like Prince meets Tom Waits. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That. Yes. Holy shit. That is that is so that is so like. Yeah. True. <laughs> I love that. And I, I I mean, it's got the line. Thank you for a funky time. Call me up when you want to grind. Yep. And my my last note, I'll just read the note. It says this song oozes sex and at times Prince is totally unleashed. He reaches orgasm in the middle of the song. Crazy backwards endings. Drugs had to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's my final note. Yeah, the backwards ending thing is crazy. We too. didn't even talk about that. Yeah, because it was uh, the whole. That's when they said. Not only is a prince of pervert, but he's a he's a Satanist as well. <laughs> yeah. Very uh very Beatles esque. Yeah. Very sort of very uh, Beatles. That's how I looked at it. It was more Beatles esque. Yep. But uh that's why I put drugs had to be involved. Uh I can't verify that. <laughs> but I don't I don't know if they were. I don't think Prince was I don't I, I don't think Prince was ever in the Man. drug scene. So but it, it only it, for it prescription painkillers, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, at the end, of, yeah, toward the end of his life, that's right. But early on, I don't think he was a. I don't think he was like so many other musicians who, who, yeah, definitely do get into uh, psychedelics and and mood enhancing drugs or whatever, you know, pot or heroin or or LSD. Yeah. I don't think Prince was ever uh, a, a user in that way, um, as far <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, all the interviews I've heard, it didn't sound like he was. Yeah. No, yeah. but he, this this song, he just like I said, he just gets totally unleashed in it. That's true. Yeah. That absolutely and, uh, true. Yeah. So it's it's the Prince Tom Waits song. Is the uh I I'm never gonna <laughs> get that out of my head. I love that, that comparison. <laughs> but it yeah, it was a great I mean, yeah. I mean in some ways, like Coop said, it's excellent ending this to the side because of how the song ends. But in some ways it's a very bold ending as well, in that some parts of the song are like just totally unleashed and off kilter and other, you know, which is unlike some of the other, some of the other ones, but, um, but then you flip it over to side two coop. And what do we have when doves cry? Oh, which boy. is probably, it's gotta be 
his biggest single. I mean, I would think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't look at sales and everything. I'm just gonna put my quick two cents in. I think it's a great. I mean, it's an excellent start to a site too. I yep. mean, you start with Duff's Cry. Yep. Um, it's probably one of my favorite Prince songs. It's got the killer opening riff. It's got an amazing opening riff, a great synth riff. Um, it hits on issues of violence in relationships, carrying on the burdens of our families, which he sort of talks about. Um, it it is so like, and I put in my notes here as well. I go, man, this record is sexy, kind of like George Michael's Faith, where every song is sexy, regardless of what it's about. <laughs> and I put Prince could sing the owner's manual of a Toro lawnmower and make it sexy. <laughs> that's that's yeah, yeah, yeah. super true. <laughs> yeah. But I, I listening to this song. I think I took a break in the song. and I listened to George Michael's Faith record and it's it's a lot. Uh, I mean, even if. Even if the song isn't about sex specifically, it's just that his vocal is so sexy that it just like it like permeates the yeah. whole record yeah. a lot like that George Michael record. Dave, we talked about that potentially as an album. Uh, what do you call it? Archaeology Candidate, that Faith album. Great album. Uh, it's a great album. And, it, you know, the, the critical acclaim of that album actually gets lost. Unfortunately, it was a very good album. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Coop? Um, this was actually the first single released. So this out, like I said, this yeah. is the one that came out a couple of months before the album even came out, uh, and it was. I mean, it just went to the top. What was you heard it everywhere? I still think it's the track of the decade. Uh, yeah. I think it's the best song that came out in the eighties. Uh, the full version of the song stayed on the album, which is key. You don't hear the full version in the movie though. Um, but that last two minutes. That that is, I think it just takes this song into the stratosphere. Um, mm. And I, I was glad I, I, that music video where it's the they're dancing and they have the mirrors going. Um, it, it's incredible with that. Um, I also kind of put Dave, your your target. Matt's gonna have some. Both you and Matt have some really good points on this too. So I'm not gonna steal the thunder that. But Dave, you mentioned something about the violence and relationships and carrying on the burdens of our family. That's exactly mm. how this was used in the movie. It mm. comes at the turning point of the movie, uh, where basically he, uh, he his character is about to, to lose. Um, he's about to lose Apollonia. Uh, his mother and father are in this violent relationship, and he's just been told that uh, there's four bands playing at the club, and that Apollonia's got a band, and you may be out, right? So everything's mm. freaking like he's at this this crossroads, and everything uh, calling apart. And um, the idea of the dove crying is uh, it's kind of the loss of a relationship, right? And all those things are, are losses of relationship he was facing, whether it was with his parents, whether it was with Apollonia, or whether it was with um, First Avenue, the club. Oh, and Lisa and Wendy are. are, are are, are giving him problems because they want to um they, they're they're kind of upset because prince won't play their song so so the dove crying is that that um loss of the relationship now this is a question for matt i believe there's no baseline in this song is that true or false i mean technically that's true okay yeah, yeah. okay uh i i i listened to it i didn't hear a baseline and then i read it and i'm like let me ask matt about that but i believe i mean about which to me, it's incredible how that song's pulled up without a baseline. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it really, I think, I, I mean, I wasn't there when they put all of it together, but I honestly think 
that the lack of a baseline was deliberate as to the 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 subject matter that they at the point they wanted to get across in the song yeah it's it's about it's about brokenness and loss and and sort of the it's sort of a it's sort of an exercise in humility you know for for not just the character in the movie but for prince it's it's like an exercise in humility i think i see the lyrics and i see it as experiencing loss and using that to to put yourself into a more humble space and and see the worth and the worthiness of people around you and and the, I think the lack of a baseline actually plays into that because baseline in a song in any any style of music, the baseline is the foundation. Mm. You know, it's the thing that sets the tone and and is the foundation that the rest of the song is built on. And I think the lack of a baseline in this song gives it a sort of a sparse, um, almost uncomfortable feel. And I think that was deliberate. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you guys hit it. It's, I, it's definitely still his most well-known song everywhere. Um, the, I mean, everything from the, that little guitar lick that he plays and then that, that classic Prince sound with those knock, knock sort of synth drums. Oh, yeah. I, it's just, I, wow. you hear that sound, you hear that synthesized drum sound and that's, it's like, that's Prince that's prince right there yeah and then he's got that snarl where he kind of you know he's it's almost it's almost like a like a cry you know before the before the uh the little uh keyboard lick comes in yeah and and then it just keeps building from there especially and it, it but it doesn't build musically from a band perspective like with no baseline in any it built it builds vocally it's really just the the band and the music behind it stays pretty much on the same level the whole time it's the vocals by the time he gets to the end of it he's literally crying out he's screaming um you know and he's got again great just incredible falsetto yeah. you know mm. um and the i love the fact that on the verses the 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 way the verses are sung are almost chant like, like Gregorian chant. They're monotone. There's no harmonies. And yep. then, and then it just, again, it just continues to build from there. Um, and it's got little, it's got a little feeling maybe of Indian or Middle Eastern music, yeah. a little mm. classical in there. There's spiritual, there's soul. Um, and the keyboard solo at the end, I mean, give me a break. That keyboard solo. Oh is uh yeah. that it's just incredible and i think that's uh uh what was it you had dave you had his name and I'm, I, I'm i regret that i don't remember his name right now well it is i will look um oh i got it here matt dr fink yeah. dr fink yes and that i'm i assume that was him playing it because he was the keyboard player yep but him and lisa that, were both the keyboard players yeah that that keyboard solo was just insane yeah. i love it love it love it so still one of my favorite songs i i've tried to play it i've tried to play that keyboard solo uh, nope nope i've failed every time i've tried to play it it's way too intricate for me mm. you know i always wondered if prince had lived if maybe around this time we would have seen him get back with the revolution yeah 
you know, they it seemed like they 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 broke up. They weren't happy that they broke up, but they, you know, when when he died, they were all. It wasn't trying to share dirt on him at all. They didn't try to throw all the dirt on him. It was just the opposite. They yeah. were praising him, yeah. And apparently, you know, they were all still in touch with him at one point or another. They just he just wasn't working with them. Yeah, yeah. So we got the next track, and I'll let you kick us off here, Coop. It's the "I Would Die for You." Yeah. Track. By the way, it, yep, it, it's four number four in you, which by the way, we every mm-hmm. Prince song he does it, that's how he uses the for is four the number and you you the letter. So, um, this is the first of the of the live tracks that were recorded at First Avenue. Uh, so they used all three of those as far as that goes. Um, and uh, it was the fourth single released on the album. It it kind of came out around the time the twenty four week number one run was over, uh, and it um it charted at number eight, so it still did very I mean very very well for him, and you know there's an irony with this song because it obviously it uses death right, but it's a more upbeat track on the album, and it's a more upbeat. It's used in the movie very upbeat. It's a very upbeat mm. scene in the movie. It's used, um, and you know it kind of follows the whole messaging of Christ, you know. Uh, you know, he, you know, sacrificing and him being the Messiah, you know, all, all that. So there's, there's a religious element to this, too. Um, and to me, I can't listen to this song without Baby, I'm a star to follow it. It has to be both together. They have to be done in sequence, these, these, these tracks for whatever, maybe. And that's how they laid out in the album. And I think it was perfect how they, 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 because Purple Rain is the final single off this album, the final track on this album. But Purple Rain was actually played in the movie right before this song. And I think in the movie, it works well like that arranged. But I think on the album, it works better with Purple Rain as the last song. So I, I think it was, it's just it was brilliant placement again with this song. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Matt, how about you? You get in there I'll, and I'll save mine for for last well, this- year. This was my favorite Prince song for a very long time. I mean, this was just the one. This was the song that I would return to uh, over and over again um, for a long time. I loved it. I still do. Um, And it's a perfect radio song because it's exactly three minutes. Yep. They didn't cut anything with this song. Yeah, it's it's a so it's a perfect it made a perfect radio track. It did really well on 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 the charts on on radio. Um, And it's. And I wrote this. I I said it's like a perfect radio hit that was made by a supercomputer. Three minutes, great <laughs> hook, singable, and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it it's and that's really that's really true. Um, and 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 this is another one of those tunes that has sort of a chant like quality to it. You know, he does. Uh, it's it's again going sort of to the preacher thing where there's a call and response, and there's going to be more talked about that mm. later, but. You know where uh, this is something. It's that as a lead singer, you're almost getting the you're getting the audience involved, and this is a song you can do that with. And this and and Coop's right. This is th- this actually all the last three tracks were the live recording from from that First Avenue uh, benefit concert. Yep. And um and it, and I agree that they they tie in it ties in perfectly with Baby I'm a Star because. Uh, it's it's got that live vibe 
just like yeah. Baby Mama Star does, that you can't you can't listen to it you can't listen to it without the next song. Yeah, or vice mm. versa. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got. I mean, you guys are. But I mean, I got nothing. Really, ah, I mean, you got plenty. I, I, you got plenty, I, Dave. I, I, <laughs> no, I mean, nothing more to add, really. I mean, it's just a great. I love the vocal, the the religion stuff, which is kind of running throughout the entire record. Which, which for me, to be honest, until I listened to it back to front, I didn't realize like how heavy of a theme it was. From like allusions to it to just how the songs are structured. Um, it, it kind of runs through, and it also had me thinking about how it runs through his whole career, which is interesting. It's sort of this like ongoing theme and debate within himself around these like really sexual lyrics and innuendo with this sort of other side of him, which is this religious spiritual side. And it's kind of always at odds with like his career moving forward anyway. Um, no, I loved it. I, I found it more like a straight up pop, like beyond synth song, which kind of you guys talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Matt, you put it great. Like if it was like programmed by a supercomputer. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, like mean, it's, so, it's so perfect. It's uh, only Prince could write a, a a perfect radio song. I mean, oh yeah, the, the AI that we have today. If you said write me a perfect radio hit, they would spit out. <laughs> they would spit out. I would die for you. Oh uh, well, yeah, well. Yeah, and and like you said, it goes nicely into the next song, which is "Baby, I'm a Star," which uh, continues that for me continues that sort of like religious imagery with kind of a very church organ vibe in the beginning. Um, and I just, I mean, I've said it, I've said it over and over. People are gonna like get sick of me saying it, but his vocal is just so sexy and charismatic. He's so charismatic on this yep. record. Yep. Um, and I put he may be the sexiest and most charismatic lead vocal in history. Like Absolutely. it's just as a listener, he just draws you in every song. Yeah. As soon as he starts off, like you are just drawn to him. Um, and he has such a presence. Uh, and I I put to this for me had a real call response gospel vibe to it, and for me it really exemplifies that whole you're the congregation and Prince is the preacher. And you're and you're along for the ride. And this and this song also gave me very big James Brown vibes. This track, and I think it I think it was because because of, of his charisma. I think that's what well was yeah giving it to me yeah. and the yelp and the yelp. The yeah, yelp. yeah 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 yes <laughs> yes it's uh, so good it's so good so what I mean what did you think Matt of this track Well I think uh, out of everything on the album this this is the best like pure example of just in your face minneapolis sound yep. just pure okay. yep. synth synth funk just in your face i absolutely love this song it's energetic it's got killer rhythm it's got great lyrics the harmonies from the vocalists are unbelievable um it's another call and response song mm. you know he screams sing and then the then the audience gets in with him and the background singers um and yeah again the the prince yelp you know when he it's the, uh, it's just unreal um and i th- this is a song you can you cannot sit still yeah and, uh, i've heard it live yeah. i've heard him do this live i've been oh. him do it. it's incredible yeah oh man yeah. wow 
be amazing. Yeah. What do you think, Coop? How did you find the song? You know, um, this is this is a great song. It's um, now in it's the like I said it's the second of the live songs, but it's actually the oldest of uh, song on the album, from what I understand. This was originally a song that was he actually did recordings of this back in 1981. Or this I don't uh, unreleased recordings, obviously. So this is something that's been and they, he decided to use it for the movie. It was played at that what Matt mentioned. That's why it was played when it was played. And I think there was a decision made to put this in the movie. It's the last song in the movie. Um, and it's really, it, it's, like I said, they rearranged the last three songs in the album in the movie. Purple Rain is kind of where he just kind of pulls it all together. Mm. I Would Die For You is kind of an interlude, the wrap-up, loose endings of the movie. And then he's on top of this movie, right? And, he, and he's got the, mm. cra- I mean, there's a reason why they use the, the live version of this because, you know, you guys talked about the call and response, right? The live, mm. there's nothing like that's going to capture that, like the live version. That's right. I mean, that's even right. in this scene, his rival, Morris, is like, he's in the audience like this is fucking great right yeah so he's in the movie uh with that now um what i'll also say about this is um it uh you know like i said it was probably the, the most positive part of, of of this film um but it's also one of his most popular songs that was never it was never released as a single i believe it was a b-side actually it ended up getting released as but prince played this at the super bowl um, mm. he it, without. I don't think he played. I would die for you at the Super Bowl. I think he actually did this without it. Um, and it remains another one of those songs that I think it's 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 so popular in the in the Prince catalog. It didn't need to be released as a, as a single. Yeah. Um, and it, it closes the movie out. Per, it closes the movie out perfect. Doesn't close the album mm. out perfect. Closes the movie out perfect though. Mm. Yeah, the album's a different story. And we're gonna get to that next one. Let's let's get to that. Did you go? You went, Dave, right? Yeah, I would did. say I I said my quick stuff in the in the okay. beginning there. Don't underestimate yourself, Dave. You're you're coming up with a lot of things on this album. Oh no, I about am. here. So yeah, like I said, I'm gonna I'm letting the I'm letting you two yeah drive. And speaking of drive, I'm gonna have Matt kick us off. Matt, Matt probably needs to kick Matt did a great job of breaking this down. So yeah, Matt needs to kind of go th- with this. This one. is I I would say when Dubs Cry is the biggest single, but like when you like the title track to this record is right up there with with what people associate this record with um and it closes it out on the lp and so matt what do you think of uh purple rain the title track well i've i've said this before i i've talked about i mean we it's not like we talk about prince a lot um you know on 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 our show but we have talked about it before and i've talked to many people about it you know forever and th- with without seeming like I'm overstating it, but this is the truth. This is the greatest pop ballad of all A- time. Absolutely. And, and second second place isn't even close. Agree. This is it, this is one of the most perfect songs ever released. Period. Yep. And the fact that the recording, the fact that the single, even the shortened single version, came out and is still it's still even though it was you know, it was, it was sort of tweaked and remastered and dubbed later. The fact that the heart of it is from that live recording, it would, it would not be as good of a song if it was not from that li- original live recording. hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. The, fir- the original first Avenue recordings over 13 minutes or around 13. Yeah. It's over. It's actually, I think just shy of 14 minutes. 
And mm. Wendy plays that beginning guitar riff for a good four minutes before Prince even walks on stage and starts playing along. Boom, boom. And she she wrote that. She I I mean she she wrote that that guitar intro. Prince wrote the song, mm. but she's the one who and, and it's you may think, well, she didn't write it. She just played the chords that Prince told her to play. Well, yes, that's true. She played there were four chords. There are four chords in the song, and Prince wrote them in the order he wanted them played, and she played them. But it's the way she voiced the chords. Mm. And interestingly enough, this the the chord structure, the the chord changes are very very similar to "Faithfully" by Journey. All and right. Prince, Prince even called Jonathan Kane, who's the keyboard player and one of the songwriters from Journey, and he said because he realized he's like, man, this is actually kind of similar to "Faithfully." I got to make sure that these guys are okay with it. He called Jonathan Kane, and Jonathan Kane's like uh, one of his one of his managers or something was like, Prince is trying to get a hold of you, and Jonathan Kane's <laughs> like, why? Jeez. And then the next thing you know, they're talking and and Prince sends him a recording of of Purple Rain. And Jonathan Cain's like, it's I mean, it's sort of similar, but it's really they're really different songs. And this song you have is great. It's fantastic. So you have my blessing. There's good job by no, Jonathan Cain. Yeah. Yeah. No mm -hmm. harm done. Yeah. And Prince. But, good job by both of those guys. Be able to work that out. Yeah. So the like I said, the structure is super simple. It's just four chords. Um, but she, Wendy was only 19 when she mm. sat down and, and played through the voicings and figured out the voicings of the, these chords. So the first chord, it, it's, it's B flat. The, when she plays the first chord, it doesn't, cause when you play a chord, there's a one, there's a three, there's a five and so on and so forth. The way she voices the chord, it doesn't even contain the root note, which is the one. Wow. Which is, like we were talking about earlier with when doves cry, there's no bass line in it. So the way yeah. she voices this first chord, there's no one. It doesn't, basically at the very beginning, it doesn't land on the foundational note of the song. So, and I I don't know if that was intentional, but it, it actually makes a lot of sense for the meaning of the song and all, all that, mm. where it doesn't it doesn't land at the beginning. It takes time to, um, to sort of get there. Um, but it also adds a nine, which, which kind of gives it, you know that there's there's a lot of the jazz uh knowledge that they have all these musicians have the mm. way they voice the chords um and then it goes on to the next chord which is the minor chords the six minor but it adds the sus4 which give the sus4 is kind of the churchy yeah, you know, sort yeah. Of, it's sustained and it, it it hasn't really landed and then it moves on to the five chord which is the f in this case and it's just a standard F major chord, but there's on the there's two guitars playing, and the second guitar adds the adds the nine to it, where you so you get both. You get just a standard voicing F chord, and then you get another guitar playing a, an F with the nine added to it, which adds so much depth it's not even funny. Um, and then the the last chord, um, it goes down to the E flat, but they add the ninth, but it's an open voicing that's higher, even though the, the, cause basically the chords, if you listen to them, it's just a walk down, you know, which is a common phrase. And when you're playing music, Oh, let's just walk it down from the, from the one to the, to the four. Mm -hmm. But the, you would think that means, okay, the last chord is going to be the lowest chord. Cause we're walking it down, but she voices it in this high 
on the higher strings. So it's got this, this sort of ethereal feel to it. Mm. It's just, I, it's so well constructed. It's, it's just amazing. Um, and then the first lyrical line lands and there's, there's a, you know, it resolves on the one, but then there's a pause and the, the chorus lyrics actually start being sung over no instrumentation. Mm. And then it goes back to, you know, the four and then back to the one. The chorus is actually really simple. Uh, but then I love they get back to that F chord and they do another chop where they resolve it back to the one. And then it goes right back to the verse. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's so well constructed. I can't even wrap my head around it. Uh, even though it's, a, again, at its core, the, it's very simple chords. Um, but, uh, I love the way it ends, you know, with that, yes. you know, mm -hmm. him, him the, with the hands waving and leading them in that high pitched, you know, sort of just, it's almost like a choral, you know, mm. um, line that they're singing and, uh, it's got a reverent kind of quality to it. And then the, after everybody's done singing, then, then the keyboards go into this high piano riff over the synth synthesizer strings. It almost said, I put the name Bella Bartok, who was a classical composer who played some, who composed some pretty weird shit. Uh, and, and the, the chords structures of these synth strings with the high twinkly piano over it. I mean, it seriously sounds like some old school, like uh modern classical composers mm. um and there's a ton of great i put this too there's so many people have covered this everybody has covered this song mm. uh, and there's some don't get me wrong there's some great cover versions out there but the, there will yeah. never be anything even coming close to this original version yep we'll put some of those covers in the in the show notes as well those one those covers you have we'll put them in there Wow, X I that was amazing. Yeah, that was. A, I learned so much from that, Matt, because a lot I didn't realize with that either. With the, what you mentioned with these chord structures, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't. I mean, you look back at it and you want to. I think sometimes we want things to be more complex than they are, and it's. I mean, it's possible that they were just like this is the way we're going to play it, and they didn't really right. think about it too much. But I, I like to think that there were that there are always reasons behind why people voice different chords the way they do. Mm, um, yeah. Because it's, it seems like it just ties in with the meaning of the song. Mm. Uh, and I, I hope that's true because if it is true, then that just makes the song that much better. What do you got Coop? Um, uh, so I got a few other comments on this. First, this was the third single release. It actually did not go number one. It went number two though. Yeah. Boo. Uh, um, but again, that was when the album's doing as well as it is, people are gonna tend to buy the album, right? So I think mm. that's what was that was more the product with it. Did get a lot of radio airplay, although that ending they did a radio edit, and I get why they did the radio edit, uh cutting out that 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 twinkle piano, what Matt called mm. it, and, and the strings, right? But it's brilliantly executed in the movie, right? So, you know, and this is this is like the, the crescendo scene. It's the climax of the movie. Prince basically wows the crowd. Uh, he's emotionally charged. He's emotionally this. He's he's just an emotional peak, and he kind of runs off the stage. And they play that twinkling um, piano and those strings as he's running off the stage into the back because uh, he he just 
and then he composes himself. He comes back out there, right? So I thought it was brilliantly done in the movie. Uh, and look, all I can say is Matt's 100% right. This is the greatest ballad ever created, and uh, it was uh, it was um, nothing's come close to this. I would agree with you on that. Uh, I thought it was an interesting choice for a Super Bowl song. Um, because that's usually more of a higher energy performance, but the but you know his performance at the Super Bowl is is revered, and I've heard live versions of this song he's done like even sixteen to seventeen minutes, right? Yeah. Um. Mm. So it, it, it's 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 an absolute brilliant. It closes the album out, like that last thing again, the twinkle piano and, and the strings. It just brings the album to a calmness and peace at the end, and you feel like you know. You've gone through this like like this album stands so well on its own. I I mentioned the movie a lot, but honestly, you, this album stands on its own great. And this was the perfect choice for the closing track. It, it's mm. not not even a question that this was the close the perfect. This is we do a closing track song, Dave. This is gonna be one we talk about. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it is a perfect closer. I mean. I for me, the first note I have is I can't believe he was going to do this with Stevie Nicks. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> like, wow. I could see, I could see her raspy voice doing it though. Well, yeah, but he was gonna. Just, it would have been totally different. He wanted like a country song, and it was like this weird. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. Yeah, That's you're like, probably yeah. seeing me yeah. wrinkle up my nose. I, I, <laughs> so, I don't know if you've ever heard this from me, but I am not a Stevie Nicks fan. So. Oh, Stevie. Sorry. So, oh, so, you, so you don't think that landslide should be on the Rolling Stone top 500? Ah, well, <laughs> which we went nuts on with that. <laughs> I went a, nuts it, on that. It's an absolutely incredible song uh, because Lindsey Buckingham is a phenomenal <laughs> songwriter, but I don't like her singing whatsoever. Oh. You, don't, you don't like Stand Back? Stand Back. I, again, I like the song, but uh, her her voice makes me want to <laughs> makes me want to <laughs> like eat glass. Yeah. So wow. now we know. Take a note, Dave. When we do the Stevie Nicks show, yeah, not a Stevie Nicks show. that one. You can leave me off the invite list. <laughs> um, but I guess what I had about the song too is it found like a very personal and intimate song. It had a kind of a getting with the religious tones. It had sort of a confessional vibe to it. Yeah, like 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 Prince in the confessional almost. It had this really sort of intimate, kind of personal vibe. Um, and, and like people said, a very gospel chorus. Um, I mean, it's just an incredible song. It's uh, it's just amazing. Um, excellent and closer. Were, and there were verses left out. There were other verses mm. yeah. left, mm. left out, you know, that talk about money and stuff like that. And they realized that they, they realized the these lyrics don't belong. Mm. So they yeah. left it out purposely. I love to see Prince workshopping the song, you know. Oh, oh! I would, that I would have been... loved to have been a fly on the wall and just watch him in a cre- in his creative process. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so, so it, cl- it closes out the record. Um, so we're into final final thoughts on the record. So, uh, Matt, why don't you give us give us your the final thoughts on this on this uh, on this record? Well, as a as a record overall, I agree it's one of the best that's ever been put out it's very well constructed in the way that they laid out the songs the orders that they chose they i i think out of uh, you know after all the the going back and forth and you know choosing what's going to end up on the record i think they chose properly Mm. um and uh it's it's 
Well, and I also put it's it's very hard to imagine that we're actually getting close to the 40th anniversary. Yeah. 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 We're, we're talking we're two years away from the 40th anniversary of the movie and the and the album. It's it's crazy to think it's been that long. Amazing. Um, It's easily in the top 10 of albums from the 80s, uh, probably in the top five of albums from the 80s. Uh, and it should also be on the list of best albums of all time in the oh, modern yeah. era. Um. And so I was, uh, I was also very fortunate, um, in 2016 after Prince passed away, uh, some people got together and put on a, a huge tribute concert, uh, at XL energy in St. Paul. And I was very fortunate to be able to go. Oh, and, nice. Um, uh, so it had my, my wife and I went and my brother and his wife went and, we were actually sitting um, sort of, it's, it sounds strange, but we were actually sort of sitting behind the stage, but the stage, all right. the stage was sort of all exposed. So we're sitting sort of on a corner where we were looking down at sort of the back left corner of the stage. So we could see and hear everything great. It's just, we couldn't, you know, we weren't looking directly at people's faces as they were singing and performing, but, I mean, Tori Kelly, Jesse J, Shaka Khan, Mint mm. Condition, Luke James, Nicole Scherzinger, Morris Day in the Time, Stevie Wonder. Mm. Uh, it, it was, it was an absolute privilege to be at it. And I got to, I got to mark something off my bucket list, and that was see Stevie Wonder live. Oh yeah. And yeah. just, a, just a side note, because uh, I, I smoked through my first cigar that Aventura, so I lit up the the Mi Carita uh oh uh Saka Khan oh so, knowing, knowing that I was going to mention uh Shaka Khan I was like well I'll fire that one up Saka Khan Saka Khan <laughs> Saka Khan let me rock you rock you Saka Khan let me rock it because all I want to do yeah that was like our by the way you didn't get to go to the media house this year because of all the COVID stuff but that was kind of a little bit of a mod we were all kind of singing that song all week at the <laughs> compound nice yeah uh so just uh, before you get to Coop, how how did your cigars fare, Matt? Your first one and now this oh, one. The, yeah, the Aventura, great blend. Uh, really loved it. It smoked all the way down to this very tiny. Oh, right. here. And then this this Saka Khan is, I mean, it's a big cigar. This is the seven and a quarter by 54. So this is not, this is no joke. It's not messing around, but no. it's very tasty. It's my first time actually smoking the blend. Mmm. Nice. Coop. Final thoughts, my friend. Um, you know, I mentioned that I, I think this was my album of the decade. I think you can make an argument. It's the album of the decade. Uh, mm. so, you, know, what I, I, you know, but I would definitely put it in that conversation. It's my personal album of the decade for sure. Um, that'll be a hint if we do a draft show on the 80s. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of curious how this will do in a tournament, this album. Um, Prince has done well in our tournaments in the past. Uh, I, I mentioned this. Uh, if, you're, if you don't have Purple Rain, okay, I'm still advising you to buy the deluxe version. Okay, you'll still mm -hmm. get the first nine tracks uh, in, in its in, in its original form, and then you'll get uh, the other tracks. Um, I would say, why would you buy the original one? Is for more collectability purposes. If you're into some of the, if you want to get some of the collector's discs or whatever, then then mm -hmm. get then get the original version. But uh, they actually did some remastering too on, on the um, on the. Uh, deluxe version so you'll get a little better sound quality 
Um, couple things just I want to mention about the deluxe version, and I'll go over. Uh, I mentioned the nine songs are preserved. There's some extended versions of some of those nine tracks that you know stuff that made the chopping block. There's a couple of remixes. Uh, there's a track called "We Can Fuck" on there, right? <laughs> which nice. which became a song called "We Can Funk," and he actually on, and, and he actually ended up doing that song with George Clinton, and it was oh. included on the Graffiti Bridge uh, soundtrack and movie. So uh, and it's by, I think it's the most underrated Prince collaboration out there. But you can get the original "We Can Fuck" version on here, which is it's all Prince. There's no George Clinton on there. Um, there's B sides on there. Seventeen days, Erotic City, uh, God, and the another lonely Christmas song. There's some of the rarities. There's a song called Father's Song, which didn't make it. There's uh, the Electric Inter- uh, Electric Intercourse is the other one I'll mention. Um, just a comment on Graffiti Bridge. The sequel to the film was awful. All right. Um, it was, I, I, they should, I mean, I'm not going to diverge too much. Um, the album wasn't as bad, but what happened with Graffiti Bridge, they had some good music on it, but it lacked the continuity that this album had. Uh, it just because that was all like basically, I think it was a lot of leftover songs that Prince put in there that he had in the vault. Uh, mm. Why that? Um, I think if we ever do a show called Why Albums Fail, I'd love to do Graffiti Bridge. Mm. All right. Um, not a bad album, but it failed. Uh, but back to this one, I said, while it's not necessarily, again, it's not my definition of a soundtrack, it doesn't take away from anything from the album. Uh, it, it, it ties well to the film, and it certainly stands well on its own. You don't need the deluxe version to, for this album to stand as the album of the decade. Um, and then I just want to give a couple of shout-outs to some of the Paisley Park artists uh, who were surrounding this album and that they had music in the film. Uh, the Time, uh, obviously Jungle Love and the Bird, uh, Apollonia Six, Sex Shooter. And there's one other artist that left the revolution right around the time this was filmed. And um, he's included in a movie. Uh, it's Des Dickerson's Modern Air. Uh, mm. And Des Dickerson is the guy who does the lead vocals with co lead vocals with Prince on 1999. So that's his voice you're hearing with Prince on there. So, mm. um, but yeah, again, this is a. Uh, it was so much fun going back through this album over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I hadn't really just listened to it like this in a couple, like maybe three or four years like this. Maybe more, maybe more so when Prince died, I was listening to it. Because I remember, Dave, we did the Prince on the old jukebox. We yeah. did the tribute. So. Yeah. so it was good to kind of go revisit this uh, again and just really appreciate what, what, what this brought to the table. And how was your cigar, Coop? Um, if Fuente's worried about this, like, Opus X, they'd have nothing to worry about. This was, <laughs> wow. this was a colossal disappointment. I don't know how. Oh, I no. Bad. I, I feel bad. I smoked this song. Smoked this song. Smoked this cigar during a Prince song. This was just a miss. I, I don't know. Oh. It was. There's a reason. I don't really like heavy Brazilian centric blends. And I think this is the reason why it was earthy. Mm. It was astringent. It had no wow factor. Um, It was a disappointment. That's all I could say. Um. I expected, you know, I, I expected better from CAO, the CEO brand in general here. So I, I wish I wish I had better things to say. I'll try a couple of other sizes, but um, I'm not doing handstands over this. This, no. this should have been put on the chopping block. But, but this is this, I should have just wrote, lit, wrote, lit up an Opus X tonight. So sadly, uh. the trend continues for yeah. CAO, sadly. Sadly, oh. it's sad because, you know, there's some there are some very good cigars they've had over the years, mm-hmm. even with when General took them over. Yeah. But this was a disappointment. Yeah. Um, so my first note is that I said they should have just called this record sex. It the record <laughs> makes love to you and you want more. That's what I said. Um I I just think 
because when we talked about it and, and we talked, there's different styles on this record. We talked about, you know, straight pop to the Minneapolis sound to like the sci-fi. But even saying all that, I found this a very focused record. Like there is a definite vi- vi- vision with this record. And I think maybe chopping it down to one LP made it more focused than if it was a double. Um, but and it was a fa- it was very emotive. Like I found his vocal to be so entrancing on this record that it could be any song and it wouldn't matter that it, and it was that preacher congregation vibe, the sort of preaching you to convert you to the record. Like it really his charisma and the vocal on this record. I mean, I think it's his best vocal in his career, probably. I mean, I mean, not listening to all the albums back to back, but it, I don't know how it could be much better. I mean, we were talking about it's a record of the decade. Like, it's got to be a top 10 record of all time. Like, I mean, there's not a lot of filler on this record. No, no, I can say the painting. They had, they had the opposite problem. I think um, when uh, Rolling Stone did the best albums of all time, I think it was in the top 10, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's incredible. Um, but no, just an excellent record. And I really recommend that people put the time away to listen to it back to front, you know, or like front to back, because I mean, you can listen to like your favorite tracks here and there, but I think to really get out what this record has to offer, it's really sort of listening to the whole thing in one go. Yeah. yeah. I, in, in, in the sequence. Yes. Uh, which, which makes for excellent album construction when you, when you, you know, when you say that. Um, yeah. I'm glad I, I started. I got, I got that left of my asylum. Nice. Um, I love it. I think though, Coop, and maybe because the rapper is so big, but like you really have to like Candela because it it is a very Candela forward cigar. This one. Well, I was gonna say you have a lot of rapper on that for sure. Yeah. I haven't smoked. I have. I haven't smoked it yet. To be honest with you, I have it though. Oh. Um, it's, it's it's good. I mean, if you it's creamy, it's grassy. If you like Candela, you'll love it. If you hate Candela, you will not like it. <laughs> but, but uh, but it's good, and it's and it uh, and it uh, it lasted the show, which is what I was after. So tick tick. Good job. Now for some new music, Coop. Yeah, and of course we want to mention uh, our friends at Cigar Hustler, located in Deltona, Florida. Uh, one of the great stores, I could say, anywhere to go to in the country. Um, they have a great humidor. They have a great lounge, uh, great staff and great service. Uh, definitely an enjoyable place. Uh, if you're, you could say, easily off of I-4. Um, and uh, if you can't get down there, uh, you have the CigarHustler.com website. You know, get on there. Get on their email list. Um, because when they get some of the new cigars, they get some very limited. And if you're chasing down rarities... Uh, just look out for that email because the second it comes out, you can order it and usually get it. Uh, but don't wait to order because you'll miss out, as I many times have done. Uh, so, you know, and you know, of course, they have their, you know, they have their own brand, the Postani brand. Um, and of course, some of the collaborations they're doing as well. So, um, like I said, definitely a, uh, a destination to go to. So, Dave, what do you have for your new music this week? I got a couple bands that are longstanding. The first one is LCD Sound System. So LCD Sound System, they're putting out a single for a upcoming Noah Baumbach movie, White Noise. It might even be out. I don't know. Um, but it's the first track they've done in about five years. And it's that classic. If you like LCD Sound System, 
it's that classic kind of epic synth pop with some great guitar, some great bass. It's a pretty long song. It's about seven minutes, um, which is quite long for for a track uh, nowadays. But uh, very rich, very good song. If you like LCD sound system, that's a good one to check out for you. Uh, and side B, I don't know if we got any punk fans on the show. We we I I am. Yep. We may. And this is a throwback to '90s punk, and that's No FX, who has a track coming out. Darby crashing your party. And it's the so the band. So this is their last sort of year, the band, and then they're going to like hang it up. They've been around forever, but um, it's got that political punk edge. It's been rounded off a little bit. Like if you're a NoFX fan from way back, this, it's not quite as the music is quite as sharp, but you still get some hints of that sort of like West West Coast L.A. punk of the 90s. Um, so it's a great it's a great track. And for your album archaeology homework, if you want to check out more no effects, Punk in Drublick, which is like the best name for an album. That is good. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> so you got Punk and Drublick, which is a break breakthrough record. Uh, that's a 90s punk record. It's a great record. You got tracks like Linoleum on it, Leave It Alone, Don't Call Me White is on it, which is another big track of theirs. But if you're kind of interested in like, well, what's that, you know, West Coast sort of punk sound? That is a classic. LA sort of punk record. So uh so check that out. Good job, Dave. There you go. Yep. Lots of music today. Yeah, no, it was great. Um as well. So Matt, we want to thank you very much. Uh oh thank, for, yeah, it was great. Thanks yeah, for, bringing, for taking bringing the, time. the time. I mean, I know you put some time into prep with this as well. So uh it's always great uh, doing a show with you. Um I look forward, by the way, for both you guys and Garrett seeing you guys in uh December. So That's right. I, if I have yes. my plane ticket, I I still got to finalize my hotel, but but I'm you know the plane ticket's the key thing. So I really look forward <laughs> yes. to that, and uh, I'm excited to go visit uh, Minnesota. And I don't care if it's cold. So yeah, <laughs> get so, it. Check uh, out your local shop. It'll be very exciting. Yeah. So we're really it excited will about be, it. It will be cold, but we'll uh, yeah we'll uh, yeah. visit yeah. visit local shops and uh, some yeah. local eateries. Yep, yep. So we wrote, I mean I'm excited about this. Uh I'll be that'll be my birthday weekend as well. So Oh uh, live it up coop. Yeah, so nice. it'll be the big five five for me. So uh so uh it'll be it'll be all good with that. So we we do appreciate it. Uh thanks to our audience as well, uh for, for tuning into this. Give us a, your feedback. If you have more album archaeologies, let Dave and I know as well, as well as any feedback on this one. Um next show, stay tuned to our social media pages for the uh, topic and date on that. And um, that's going to bring everything to a close, guys. So thank you very much. That's going to wrap up Primetime Jukebox, episode 80 into the Annals of History for this uh, early uh, October, actually almost mid-October edition. We'll see everybody next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>